everybody and welcome to the Cane and Rinse podcast, volume 8, issue 359. We're up to Super Ghouls and Ghosts. You can play along with our show. We have podcasts coming up that will be covering in depth, in our usual fashion, the games known as The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. After that, it's Dark Souls 3. Then Wolfenstein 2, The New Colossus. Then This War of Mine. Bringing, thing, bringing the mood down somewhat. And after that, we're back to the Super Nintendo with the very first Pilot Wings. CaneandRince.com is the place to go for the full schedule and articles, features, the forum, other bits and bobs as well. You can also, if you're listening to this and you've got this a week after everyone else, that's because you're not subscribing. If you subscribe for just a dollar a month, that's under 80p under 0.9 of a euro you get extended versions of the show you get them a week earlier you get extra podcasts you get our format special podcasts a full three months earlier and you're helping us keep on doing what we do making these podcasts patreon.com slash and your support is hugely appreciated if you can't be bothered with that but you just fancy throwing a few quid in a virtual upturned cap you can click on the link to paypal on our homepage. Don't forget, we have other podcasts. We now have a podcast almost every working weekday. That's Cana Rinse on Mondays. Tuesday, you can have a day off to absorb the brilliance that was Cana Rinse. On Wednesday, Sound of Play, our video games music podcast. On Thursdays, we've inherited recently Ryan and Ryan and their Playwright podcast, in which they come up with brand new game ideas. It's a lot of fun. And on Fridays, we have The Sausage Factory, where our friend Chris O'Regan interviews the developers who make the games that we play. Amazing stuff. Subscribe to them all, review them all, rate them all, wherever you get your podcasts, your podcast capturer of choice, or even if it's just Apple, that's great. And follow us on social media. Don't forget Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Thank you. Now joining me, Leon Cox, in issue 359 are Mikhail Croder. Mm, trying to work out what that's supposed to be. Shall I tell it? Yeah, what is it? It's the double jump. Mm. Okay, okay. Yeah, I can hear it. I can hear it. Crucial, crucial. Yes, very crucial. And welcome back. First time this year, I believe. Ben Cartledge. Oh, Arthur. I'm so glad you came to help me. <laughs> uh, you've helped perhaps uh, Princess Prin Prin more valiantly and uh, more times than many. Uh, and we'll get into that. Uh, those who yeah, less of that. My wife listens to this. <laughs> <laughs> You've helped Princess Print Print out. Uh, Did you ask her to, to dye her hair blue? Yeah. <laughs> we'll we'll leave it. This too, we'll leave it there. <laughs> print Print. Um, yeah. So issue three hundred and thirty-five of the podcast, which was last year, we talked about the original Ghosts and Goblins and its ports and conversions, and then. Ten podcasts later, in issue 345, we talked about Ghouls and Ghosts, the sequel, which started at the arcades before coming to the Mega Drive and, and various other systems. So now we thought this year we'd come back to the series. Uh, this is the only one we've got planned. Who knows in the future? We've still got there are games, there are spin-offs, there are spiritual successes to be covered. We might revisit. But for now, this sort of completes the classic trilogy with Super Ghouls and Ghosts, known in its original Japanese as Chomakamura which basically means Super Demon World Village. It was developed again by Capcom, published by Capcom in Japan and America, but Nintendo brought it over to Europe. 
with a couple of changes. Takuro Fujiwara remained as the producer of the game. Perhaps most notably, one of the designers is Tatsuya Minami, who this was uh, Minami's second game after Little Nemo, the Dream Master. Uh, but Minami then went on to work on things like uh, the Saturn version of Resident Evil and Vampire Savior, Lord of Vampire at the arcades, uh, Mega Man, some Mega Man X games, some Phoenix Wright, some Disney's Aladdin on the GBA. But perhaps most notably in recent times, uh, Minami was one of the founders of Platinum Games yeah. and is Sadly credited. Stabbed down. Yes, stood down last year or the year before, uh, credited as chief executive officer on every Platinum game from the first year's releases of Mad World and Bayonetta and Infinite Space all the way up to uh, Bayonetta 2 and The Legend of Korra, uh, but also Scalebound. So whether uh, if there are currently rumours that Scalebound's going to resurface, possibly as a Switch game, whether Minami's name will still be on it. Who knows if that actually happens? Anyway, uh, the composers are uh, Ayaku Mori composed the original theme, but actually the main composer for this game is Mari Yamaguchi. And she uh, actually had only worked on one game before this, I believe, certainly for Capcom. And that was UN Squadron, which uh, which is a, a classic um, and went on to work on a number of other uh, Super Nintendo games. but then. Uh, the trail goes cold after mm. that. Uh, I'm not sure what went on. Anyway, Where the game came now? out. Yeah, indeed. Uh, I might just have not looked hard enough. It's entirely possible. Uh, Super Nintendo release or Super Famicom release was October 91 in Japan. Took a month to arrive in America and then another year and another <laughs> 13 months, in fact, to arrive in Europe. Uh, December 92, obviously we had to wait for the Super Nintendo to come out in Europe. Uh, following that, it arrived on Saturn and PS1 on the Capcom Generations label. Uh, with that version, which arrived 98 and 99, uh, there was uh, the slowdown, which was very prevalent in the original, is removed optionally. I believe you can go into the settings and turn it back on to emulate the original clock speed, if I remember rightly. Uh, that version also came to PS2, Xbox and PSP on various Capcom compilations around 2005 and 6. And then the original popped back out on the Wii Virtual Console in 2007. The Wii U Virtual Console six years later in 2013. Another three years later, it arrived on the N3DS Virtual Console where you can still play it, of course. Uh, that's still available to download. That was 2016. And then, of course, the Super Nintendo Classic edition, the Mini 2017. It's one of the default games on that system. We're also going to talk a little bit about the 2002 GBA version, which I don't know if any of us has played, but it's noteworthy for a few reasons. Uh, according to Capcom, Super Ghouls and Ghosts had sold over 1.09 million copies worldwide since its initial release as of June 2016. Um, but I'm betting that doesn't include all those compilations and virtual console releases mm. anyway. So our histories with the game, do we go back as far as 1991? Ben Cartledge. Um, my first kind of dalliance with it really was around about 92, 93. Um, the, I had a, obviously had a Super Nintendo at that point and uh, a big part of my kind of weekends then before I was old enough to get a job was going up to the local town centre 
and uh, the second hand game market around that that point was just absolutely massive and i remember one saturday in particular um taking something that had finished um it might have been pilot wings actually with you saying that earlier I think <laughs> that, that that does kind of ring a bell um i remember taking that in and getting a price and there was a there was a copy of super girls and ghosts and i'd read about it and i thought this, this sounds like uh sounds like fun i remember only had to pay a couple of quid and then i i'd, I'd gone up with my mum. um she drove and then i remember that was like the first thing i did and then i was like like you are at that age i was like right let's go home then and my mum was like well no i've got to do all this shopping so i remember just skulking around all these stores reading the instruction manual kind of oh, yeah. uh, kind of cover Classic. to cover <laughs> um until uh and what what felt like an age in all these random shops um and then i remember getting it i remember getting it home and straight away i kind of i i really clicked with it i, I just really liked the, the kind of and i'd not i'd played bits of the other titles before but never really uh to this kind of seriousness it's always the same isn't it i mean this was the first uh home conversion of this series that i had myself that i could put a lot of time into um and it's telling for me that it's it's a game that i did later on on the 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 channel that, and i really kind of enjoyed and it, it it brought a lot of really good kind of memories back but i just remember that this was the first one that i legitimately got to the end of with no knowledge of the fact that you had to then go to the start and yeah, so yeah, I, rem yeah. I remember legitimately getting to the end of the first loop and being like oh, i've done it then because <laughs> i got all the way to the end of the map and then thinking coming on and saying back to the start and i just thought it was some kind of sick joke i didn't know what was happening <laughs> <laughs> at, the, at the time yeah. um but yeah, I just, I don't know. I really, really loved it. And uh, it, it's, it, I, I kind of, I remember playing it like evenings after school and inching further and further and further through. And then I remember one Saturday kind of, um, it was in, it was in October time, 93, 94. I remember just sitting down, no, Sunday actually. Yeah, Sunday afternoon. Um, mm. And I sat down for what must have been a good five, six hours and just yeah. played it through start to finish because uh, you obviously keep continuing and uh, no passwords no save states no nah, nothing just, just this is tea. the issue yes a lot of tea a lot of toast um yeah. and and yeah i remember I, I do honestly still remember i still like when i beat the game this time for the channel i remember thinking to myself oh yeah that's what that was like like i do really uh i, I had a i had a really kind of good time with it and then i um i think i sold my super nintendo um yeah i did and then i bought a uh uh, and then I bought a PlayStation and swapped a few other things. And then soon after I had a PlayStation, I thought, I really miss not having a Super Nintendo. So I bought one back. And uh, Girls and Ghosts was like one of the first games that I bought. I remember seeing it in a second-hand store for like next to nothing, as yeah. happened with a lot of SNES games around the turn of uh, around the kind of mid to late 90s. The, yes. The, kind of, mm. the, the value kind of plummeted. So I bought it again and kind of beat it again. And it's always been one of those games that like I... I don't know. I'll always kind of throw it on. Like I always, it sounds so counterintuitive to think oh, I'll just have a quick game of, of Super Girls and Ghosts because I mean to do a good loop properly, you're looking even you're looking at least seventy minutes, eighty minutes if you want to do everything. Um, mm. But I just I don't know. There's something about me that always thinks that I've nearly always I can nearly always find time for a game of Super Girls and Ghosts. <laughs> to be honest with you, yeah, and I know how much you've played this for the channel again for those who don't know uh, your channel involves beating things in one credit yes uh, which is no mean feat especially on a game like this uh, default settings as well there is there are uh, difficulty settings on this game uh and you i don't know do you do you have a like a a, a number on the the amount of footage you've recorded for this before you got your winning runs um 
it it wasn't as much as you'd think because like I you I played knew it that, before as well, of course. I yeah. knew that I had to get my game down before I even wanted to start recording because it was so because uh, it was so okay. long. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Right. I didn't want to like think oh, I can probably do forty minutes of this game when it's going to take me seventy minutes. So like I practiced it that much that yeah. I, I had probably if I would have recorded them, I would have had maybe. I don't know, maybe ten or twelve one credit clears, um, right? Uh, kind of lined up, um, but then I just then I, when I started recording, I had a couple that were terrible. Yeah. I had one where I got right to the end and then died, um, <laughs> like like, and then the one I record and I mean I haven't thought about this in ages, and it's kind of brought it all back up now. But the one Sorry. I actually recorded, I only died twice, and I died twice on the same bit, and that kind of still to this day makes me think. I should practice this and do it on one life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I should yeah. do it no death. That's what I do, right? That's the thing with these games. But I think what amused me the most, uh, you know, we it was we were already in communication when you were doing this game and you, uh, after you'd done it and you got it, you'd got the video, you'd got it down, you'd got it out. I think even you're still saying, you're still messaging me going, I'm still playing Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Yeah. It's a sickness. Like, well, what am I doing? <laughs> I never quite, yeah. And I, I don't know. Uh, I I don't think I'll ever get over it to be honest with you. Any of these <laughs> games in this series, but this specifically, like um, I yeah. just I don't know. Like when I did R Type, I remember um a, a few people making a big fuss about it, and yeah. I remember thinking to myself, I I enjoy doing this, and this is kind of a bit unique, and this is kind of fun. When I did Super Ghouls and Ghosts, it was uh, October thirty first. Did it was a Halloween special, October thirty first, two thousand seventeen. I know, right? Um, it was episode fifty six, and the responses that I had from people were just mental and i remember thinking maybe this is something kind of a bit more and do you know every time i do a game from this series the responses to it are just phenomenal it backs up everything that you've said really that like uh, this this game specifically but overall this series has really kind of uh, affected a lot of people has a notoriety (laughs) as well yeah yeah it it Uh, does have that effect on you uh when i yeah made it through by the skin of my teeth and got got my Finally, after all these years, my tulip clear. Uh, I was very glad that it was all over. But then, things you know, the the, the little gear started turning in my head. Yeah, mm, I think I can do this more effectively. Exactly. Mm, what, what what are the higher difficulties like? You know, and, uh... it's so precisely designed, isn't it? <laughs> and That's the, the thing. Uh, today again, I started playing on professional difficulties to see how Push far it I would get. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't you? Yeah. So, Mikhail, yeah. did you first play it in the early nineties? Uh, yeah, not exactly in the year of release. I remember uh, this being one of those uh, games that was uh, featured in magazines and in previews. It was probably the the French magazine that I had, which was uh, a French translated version of Mean Machines called Console Plus. Yeah, uh, and they went. Julian to... Rigner was mad for this game because yeah, he's a they, bit they, of a game. They, they went to uh, CES, uh, uh, the Consumer Electronics Show in Chicago. The the mm. let's say the E3 before there was an E3 and they took lots of screenshots off the screen of the second stage of this game so I remember the ghost ship and Arthur running around in his golden armor and I thought it looked absolutely unreal and amazing you know mm. like uh, uh, much much more impressive than what I had seen from the um, Mega Drive version of Ghouls and Ghosts I thought like, oh, this, this game is gonna be it and then but when we had our Super Nintendo, we got it at launch in uh, in Europe. I remember having Super Mario World, and then for two months, no games were in store. 
you know, we we went every Friday. We went to our local toy store to see if if there were uh, if games had arrived. Nothing, and the distribution was very fa- vague at the time. You know, there were no set release dates. Mm. Well, it was just like, what would this distributor get in, and when would it land on shop shelves? Yeah, and um, after those two months, all of a sudden, everything that uh, the U.S. and of course Japan had gotten a year or more ago already. Uh, started coming at at the same time and all of a sudden Final Fight was there and Super Castlevania 4 was there and Super yes. R-Type was there and yes. and Lemmings uh, was there, the Super Nintendo version and Act Racer. Mm-hmm. Everything all came at the same time. Super right. Tennis, F-Zero, you know. So it was all of a sudden very crowded. Yeah. And me and my brother always put our money together uh, to buy games. So we always had to reach a unanimous decision of, on what games uh, yeah, right. we, we got. And in the end, we settled on Super Castlevania Four, which had enchanted mm. us. It was a pretty uh, good call. <laughs> yeah. So, so Super Ghouls and Ghosts sort of fell by the wayside. Mm. Uh, but uh, about a year later, I had some money to spend on a game. And we had this deal with our local toy store that we could buy a game, play it over the weekend. If we didn't like it, we could bring it back and pick another one uh, nice. for, the, for the same money. Um, and again, I think... I mean, I, I maybe a year later in summer, I actually got a card of Super Ghouls and Ghosts, and I played it. And this is sound, going to sound really crazy to a lot of people, but I kind of breezed through a lot of the game already, and I've sort of felt slightly underwhelmed. Uh, maybe I had had hyped it up too much in my mind uh, hmm. all all that time, but I felt like, hmm, you know, it's kind of uneventful, and I'm just you know, kind of coasting through the levels. It's cool, but maybe not not uh, what I had ex- uh, what I had expected. So I don't know. It w- I, I didn't dislike the game, but I I wasn't overly impressed for some reason. Mm. And then I picked some something else. Uh, I can't exactly remember what, but I, I, yeah, I must have picked another game. And I only really got uh, a copy of Super Ghouls and Ghosts uh, when I rebought a Super Nintendo and I picked it up at a flea market for again very little money in the early 2000s, when uh, when yeah when those prices hadn't gone up, uh, gone up uh, ridiculously, and I pretty quickly got through Loop One and then decided that was that. And every now and then I would just pick it up and play it for fun. Quite liked the game, but uh, maybe I had gotten. Uh, grown more fun of uh, the original Ghouls and Ghosts uh, at the t- at the time, mm-hmm. and I also started playing it with uh, my buddy from Commodore uh, because he was a real fan of the series as well. So we played, started playing Ghouls and Ghosts and Super Ghouls and Ghosts, and that was Super Ghouls and Ghosts was really his favorite. So we started passing the controller around, and every time he got really stuck at bits, I would grab the controller and push push uh, push and him onwards him again. Feel tiny. <laughs> maybe yeah <laughs> and uh yeah it's and and but i never i, I always had this thing with uh, the ghosts and goblins and ghouls and ghosts series like if i cleared the for, first loop that was sort of it you know i was not going to get tricked by the game to do it a second time so for la- last week was the first time that i actually sat down and i always felt like oh yeah if i can do the first loop i can easily do the second loop you know it's no big thing so for, last week i sat down and started playing the game for the first time all the way through and then I reached uh, the two final boss, the f- two bosses before the final boss, uh, Astaroth and Nebiroth, uh, which I had to defeat with the Goddess Bracelet all of a sudden. Yeah. And that was a whole lot tougher than what I had been doing up until that mm. point. And I started Did you going have through... the powered up version? 
Yeah, I did have the powered up version, but I just started going through all my lives, lives and continues. But it was just, you know, you really need to hit them at the top of their head. Yeah. And uh, mm. if you lose your armor, you're severely handicapped already because then mm. you need to get in closer to hit them. And yeah. you don't really want to be too close to them. So all of a sudden, I went through all my lives and continues. And I thought, like, this is going to be harder than I thought it would be, you know? <laughs> so then uh, three days ago, I think it was, uh, I did it again. And I upped the life count to nine because yeah. I, and I, I was playing it on the, on the Super Nintendo on, a, on an actual card. I cleared uh, the first loop uh, on one life and then uh, started losing lives throughout the course of loop two. Because it is quite a bit tougher, especially if you, yeah, if you're lured in a false sense of security. And then it turned out I didn't need all those lives and continues because yeah. I only uh, used one credit. Uh, hmm. uh, you know, I mean, I used the one credit besides the one that I was playing. Yes, but even was, so, you were close was, to a. Yeah, I was. I was really, really close to it, but I was really sort doing of banging my head against these two. Yeah, terrible second-to-last bosses. So I actually yeah. messaged uh, Ben on Facebook as well. Yeah. Like, do you have any <laughs> tactics for these two? Because they're driving Games me master. Up. Yeah, they're, they're driving me up the wall. And he told me I should just get a couple of shots in early. And that uh, taught me to sort of take distance and stand on the far edge of the platform and sort yeah. of start firing away and then hop off the platform when they got in closer and then sort of pick my moments really carefully of where yeah. I would actually go in and hit them and then retreat again and play a very careful game. But you can't be too careful because the, they will run out of time that way. Yes. The timer that way. Yeah, I had that once. Yeah. But I finally did it. Uh, yeah. I was elated. And then I reached Sardius, the final boss. And because I had already watched uh, Ben's one credit, uh, credit clear on the game, mm. I sort of knew what to do. Pattern, so I wasn't yes. immediately hopping, hopping on the platforms, but I was waiting. Yeah. For the early laser shots, and only then I would hop on the platforms and then uh, start firing it uh, away. So I did it very patiently and without losing yeah. any life. I beat the final boss. Wow, amazing! Yeah, yeah, it was felt really good. Yes, yes. Uh, you're you're more legit than me, but um, yeah, weirdly, well, it's not weird, but in a way, I didn't play this game until 1998. Ah. So. I'd played Ghosts and Goblins, uh, see previous podcasts for detail, and I'd played more Ghouls and Ghosts. Uh, certainly, I'd bought the Mega Drive version and played that, uh, and I'd played the Amiga version as well. What was weird was the, the narrative, the discussion around those games when they were contemporary was not about their extraordinary difficulty, partly because that was more the norm at the time. And I'm not mm. saying games had suddenly gone completely soft by the early 90s, by the Super Nintendo era, because they most certainly hadn't, especially you know, C Super R-Type, C Contra 3 and things like that. However, the conversation around the difficulty of Super Ghouls and Ghosts was very much there where it hadn't been for, for Ghouls and Ghosts. So my experience of Ghouls and Ghosts was I found it incredibly difficult to get off the second level on the Mega Drive version. Mm. So I never bought the Super Nintendo game because I thought, well, if this game is actually being talked about as mind-blowingly difficult, I'm just, it's not going to be worth the effort i'm never you know the money uh, i'm never going to get into it so i didn't get it until i bought the the collection for saturn the the uh 
Chronicles of Arthur, I think it's called in the uh, mm. the Capcom Generations Two pack. Um, so there's this very good you know, emulation of the Super Nintendo game, and so I thought, okay, well I can play this now, and I get to see the the lo- lovely uh, art and the music and everything. Uh, but I couldn't get off the first level, so <laughs> the difficulty was uh, as advertised, as far as I was concerned. I never worked out how to get past the bit with the waves coming <laughs> out of the screen <laughs> yeah. at you. Yeah. Um, it didn't make any sense to me. Like, was I supposed not, to? Not to beat? make you feel very tiny, but my eight-year-old son uh, worked that out uh, today when he, uh, pa- I passed him the controller. Ah, uh, well, the, so. the, the flexible, <laughs> <laughs> the flexible mind of youth. Um, yeah. So I was, so I was twenty-six when I first played this. So it's probably probably part of the problem yeah. Um, but yeah i never worked was i supposed to be in the air was i supposed to be on the platform which of the platforms disappeared you know it is a bit of a learning curve yeah and i just got frustrated because you kept i uh, kept getting put for you know put back to the checkpoint and whatever else and i was like i can't really i liked you know i liked the idea of playing it more than i liked actually playing it and yeah i never worked that stuff out so i've dabbled with it on uh wii u and I think, yeah, it's probably the only version of it I've actually played a bit more of since then. But again, once again, getting it on the, on the SNES Classic uh, and obviously scheduling in this podcast led me to go back to it. And while I still haven't really done it in a properly legitimate way, uh, I have uh, I have played all the way through to the end, the, the second loop. Uh, I've done everything and I've been back through it, playing with extra lives and... Um, I've got to, yeah, most of the way through. So uh, like level, uh, yeah, pretty much the penultimate stage. Um, I've pretty much run out of time. I reckon I could do it. I've still got nine continues. That was without using save states as a crutch, but using them as a time saver, basically. So I don't have to restart every time I've got Mm -hmm. an hour to play the game, which is just reasonable. I've done that with uh, suspense state. um, Yeah, that's uh, all it is. Yeah, suspense state uh, rather than a a cheating. Virtual consultant. Yeah, totally. So. So yes, um, I don't feel uh, fully qualified, but um, but yeah, I've been playing this game quite a lot over the last few weeks, and I've seen everything it has to offer, even if not mastered it. Uh, so I just want to cover off the story. <laughs> the player takes the role of Knight Arthur, who once again must rescue the princess from the demons. Callous. Uh, yes, uh, once would be once would be unfortunate. Uh, three times and all that. Uh, Empress Sardius, actually known as the more biblical Samael in the original Japanese version, uh, has kidnapped the princess in order to obtain the whereabouts of the goddess's bracelet, the only weapon capable of destroying him, funnily enough. Uh, of course, Sardius uh, Castle, uh, Arthur gets there and then he has to go back and find where the princess hid the bracelet in the first place. <laughs> Because that's how it works. Yeah. Um, and still people fall foul of that, as we'll hear later from one of our <laughs> correspondents. Let's talk about the visuals in this game. What's, what struck me was playing this now on a, you know, a nice big modern TV on a Super Nintendo Classic with the CRT filter turned on, which I think is a, is a good one and adds an authentic uh, phosphor glow and, uh, and scan lines. Cool. Um, it, I think it looks better now than it looked back in the day. Like, I don't know what it is. I thought this game was a perfectly nice looking game when I first saw it in the late nineties. Well, I mean, I probably saw screenshots in the, in the early nineties. Of course I did in the magazines, but it, it didn't stand out to me. But I think now after years and years of 
uh, indie developers in particular making pixel-based games and often very nice as well. I'm not dissing anyone's attempts at 16, 8 or 16-bit pixel art. But I think, if anything, it served for me to show up just how masterful these Capcom and Konami as well at the, during this era yeah. uh, were at this particular sort of school of, of art, 16-bit pixels. This game is just... I just think it's an amazing, beautiful looking game. There's so much, again, because of the nature of the levels, there's so much variety, uh, lots of different styles. You go through the gamut of uh, ice and fire and underwater, or not, don't go underwater, on the water on a ship, uh, hell. There's some Mode 7 stuff in there as well. And um, yeah, I just think it's a real tour de force of uh, early 90s, 16-bit sprite art and beautiful use of color. And Yeah, I think there are some some bits i've i've played it uh, on uh an uh, rgb cable and hence yeah. the super nintendo on the uh, sony trinitron i have all my cartridge set, uh, system set up under that tv and uh, the disc based system set up under the, the mm-hmm. bang and olufsen and um yeah so it's it it everything on the super nintendo looks better to me than it ever did before with the composite and everything on all yeah. old CRTs as well some of us had so, svhs of course which was uh, which was a nice you know halfway house but yeah yeah but the, the colors really pop and all the details really fine and stands out and then you know the 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 natural scan lines sort of nicely curve off the the the, the otherwise rough pit, pixel edges mm. uh so really, really pleasant to look at. But I've always felt that this game is sort of uneven in how it looks. I think there are parts that are sort of underwhelming. Maybe that was also what uh, put me off on it mm-hmm. way back when. Uh, I think Which the first, bits are you less keen on? I think the, the, the first three stages are absolutely beautiful. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, I, especially the ghost ship is just amazing. You know, mm-hmm. I, I think... The funny thing is, I think any other um, developer around that time, any other uh, pixel artist would have just let you walk on um, straight floors. But it's yeah. the, the ship is so naturally sloped as if it ha- yeah. it's half sunk in the wa- uh, in the water. It's it's a, it's a, it's a stunning, lifelike detail, and it brings the whole scene to life in a in a very natural mm. way, to where it looks like a real. A believable scene, but yet at the same, yeah. it's even how that le- even how that level starts. Like you walk on that jetty and it sinks into the water, and exactly, and then you go and straight under the ship, and then there's all the like, like it. The fact that the ship's kind of um, at an angle like that, and like I say, there's so many kind of slopes, is kind of uh, multiplied by the fact that there's the the swinging kind of guillotines, which give another yeah. angular kind of. There's so much. Go- there's nothing kind of linear in that level. Everything's yeah. everything's angular. And like, then you uh, got the the parallax layer in the background with yeah. the, the ghost, ghostly masts and sa- uh, torn up sails and everything. Exactly, yeah. Uh, and you get on the uh, when you when the, the level transitions from uh, the uh, when you go to the sea of despair bit, um, you go down on that zip line, which is obviously on it on a on an angle as well. And there's bits kind of there, like it's it, yeah. It's probably like like you say those first those first two or three levels especially um, are kind of something that the, the the series hadn't really been before for me like I, yeah. they're all really kind of vibrant and the, the, there's mm. there's elements of it that that are just like little things like on the um on the pirate ship for example when um the the ghosts start appearing and they do that little animation where they kind of swirl in and then just pop mm. kind of yeah. in like that or the treasure chests that open with the pink things that come out of it there's, <laughs> there's so there's so many kind of little little elements like that 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 are 
kind of not what the series had kind of been before or maybe had the capabilities to do before yeah maybe more than ever before like you feel like you're on this journey right and then you you hop on on the raft and you you know you hit the the wild seas with the black skies yeah um and then but then and then you end up in the sort of the 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 magma filled hellscape uh but then halfway through that level you get to the towers cool effect you know but there's not really a lot going on there all of a sudden anymore visually it's just like this really basic looking that's true. Gray structures uh, with with some some light lighted up windows and in, in towers in the distance. Yeah, it's it's it feels a little bit underwhelming all of a sudden. Then the next level after that, the belly of the beast. I think it looks great, but it it no. almost looks out of place for uh for a ghouls and ghosts game. It feels like the Irem staff had walked in uh, yeah, that day, and the Capcom feels- offices said like, okay, all right, guys, we'll work on a level for you uh, uh, yeah. for this one. Mm-hmm. Feels very very art time like all of a sudden yeah and then uh i think the 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 frozen forest after that looks amazing again yeah especially the first bit but then Mm. afterwards you get so it's sort of basic again uh you know you get these icy slopes with the icicles coming out and then uh these bits with the 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 transparent uh columns and then the, the final section with the with the with the avalanches, which looks kind of basic again, mm. and then you've got the castle. Uh, finally, the two parts of the castle, which is not bad looking by any means, but you've got just some basic backgrounds there. Some, ba- some basically, basic we're platform. saying most of the bits where Mode Seven is deployed most heavily are the more basic looking bits, which makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that probably yeah. 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 So yeah. as was the norm uh, for early Super Nintendo games, especially, but throughout the the machine's life, uh, it was both an opportunity for the designers to play around with the form, but also to show off the, the tech of the, the super 16 bit super console by having various sections where things rotate around uh, or indeed whole sections of the level uh, yeah. rotate around you. Um, the, the map, obviously the, the, the famous map, which now looks more glorious than ever actually kind of reses out as you yeah. go into the level and stuff like yeah. that. But actually, yeah, I was going to say one of the, I think possibly the, the most disappointing section of the game is also peculiarly easy which is the bit where you're standing on a wibbly wobbly platform you go into a, a a kind of cave inside the belly of the beast and then there's this section where you're standing on yeah mode seven ish platform or the back but the backdrop is yeah. mode seven certainly and you just kind of wibble wobble your way and there's like two or three you know there's a few gas gas jets you have to avoid and a couple of enemies but it's peculiarly easy for a, for a super ghouls and ghosts game yeah and um <laughs> and, it, and i don't think it looked particularly great either it's a strange sort of i mean i didn't mind it because it's a bit of downtime yeah. and it's a bit of progress that's easily made but perhaps that was a slight uh trough in the experience of of super ghouls and ghosts overall for me yeah, the, the irony being for me that that's the place where I died on that run I did. No way. It's, yeah, it still gets me. Yeah, yeah I died what? there twice. I know, right? <laughs> Everything else was absolutely perfect. Didn't lose a life. Like I didn't lose. A, I didn't get hit for the first three levels. I want to say <laughs> two, three levels. So let's talk audio as well. Uh, this is one where I think I go not to be a contrarian. I'm ever so slightly against the grain here. In that people often talk about this soundtrack as being, you know, one of the highlights of the series and of the Super Nintendo. But I think I actually prefer the slightly more in-your-face abrasiveness of the chip tunes of the previous game, Ghouls and Ghosts. Um, while I can hear that the the, the orchestration style uh, in this game is obviously utilising the more sophisticated sample-based sound of the Super Nintendo, I actually think it loses 
a little bit of its power by being a little bit more um there's something a little softer about it but may is that just me do you guys yeah, it love sounds it a as... little bit synthetic doesn't it uh yeah um, but i think that that's was sort of a, a capcom thing i don't think they ever they in most cases they never really maybe uh until uh, until later games that it never really got quite a handle on the um super nintendo sound workings mm. as for example konami did right um, yeah i mean there's exceptions i think street fighter 2 actually sounds amazing the super nintendo version mm -hmm. yeah uh the the way the the tunes are uh rendered in uh, in that version yeah um but i do think that the some of the compass Compositions are very strong. Yes. Uh, yeah. ag again, the sea section, the, the ghost ship section, yeah, uh, yeah. Is, is is something that sticks in my mind. Uh, and the uh, the icy icy forest yeah, as well, level, the yeah. fro frozen forest is uh, great. Relatively it's upbeat. Just a great great composition. Yeah. Yeah. Pushes yeah. you on again. Ben, you've heard the starts of these tunes probably more times <laughs> than either of us, even because yeah, you die and the tune restarts. That can be a little grating in itself, but did you like the music enough to for that not to be a, a problem yeah and I, I never like i always played it with the music on and i always like him um, i think the 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 best thing to it's it's weird with me i haven't played them all and played them all a lot i think yes if you haven't played them all a lot and you can take them all kind of separately um the music on this is really really uh it's really good it's a really solid score there's a lot of really memorable tunes in it yeah the, the um uh the ship level's fantastic the first level's fantastic the ice level is but like on the ice level i just expect when i when i play it because of the, the time scale of playing these games for a lot of time i always can't help but think if this had the music from the crystal level in ghouls and ghosts on the arcade right. this would be mm. perfect yeah. yeah or or if do you know what i mean or 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 the the um uh, which other level like the couple of the levels where i think to myself uh, the accompanying score as much as it doesn't directly translate over but but the burning this, village yeah exactly yeah the the, mm. uh, the village of decay yeah, i love that song but like that yeah. that'd fit yeah. that'd fit anywhere in kind yeah. of the, in kind of this um it's interesting you say about the composer working on kind of un squadron because for yes. me that's one of the, the stronger snes soundtracks for me like i listen mm. to that soundtrack quite quite regularly yeah. and there's something about that it's strange because there's something about that kind of that synthy kind of driving element to that that kind of really uh, it's kind of quite solo-y and quite lead based and it really makes sense for a game like that and those kind of musical kind of ethos is a a transposed onto this but it's a different it's kind of a different kind of game so which is i think why yeah um it's it, it fits kind of differently that kind but, of that un squadron soundtrack sounds mm. like somebody on so it sounds like somebody programming snares music who's just watched top gun about five times yeah. you know what i mean and just wants loads of driving <laughs> yeah. synthy based guitar stuff whereas that kind of ethos slowed down and done on this it, it's it's I'm not to say it isn't good because it is good and there's a lot of songs in there that i really kind of do enjoy but if you're talking memorable kind of songs that stick with me then then yeah i do think ghouls and ghosts kind of uh, the arcade version of ghouls and ghosts does kind of does kind of pip it really yeah, looking at Mary Yamaguchi's CV for Capcom, uh, she started with UN Squadron and then did this. So this probably would have been her first, certainly her first 16-bit attempt at a kind of more cinematic 
orchestral kind of sound effect. Yeah. She went on to do a lot of Mega Man stuff, which traditionally wow. is more, uh, you know, kind of melody and guitar yeah. uh, based. So, yeah, it seems like she she was, uh, yeah, kind of asked to do various. She did Breath of Fire as well on the SNES, so an RPG. So I wonder, uh, I'm, I'm not familiar with the first game in that series, so no. I don't know kind of what but that you know you would expect more traditional yeah you, I know, you'd imagine musically that would be the the most if you're taking the work yeah. she's done that's probably going to be the most similar to doing ghouls and ghosts they have quite a lot of jazzy music in breath of fire as well so i guess she wow. she turned her hand to uh to various different uh sort of sound palettes but yeah i mean it's a even if we're being slightly picky about it um overall i know that like when you go researching super ghouls and ghosts on the internet many many people absolutely worship this soundtrack and yeah once again as with the art it's it for a game that is still although horror it's kind of comedic as well as we discussed in mm. the previous shows the music kind of ties in with that as well the the music is kind of scary and ominous but it there's also humor to it there's a yeah there's a sense of fun to it as well as it being yeah, it like this is a great Halloween game. Um, funnily enough, you were saying Ben about putting your video out for it on Halloween. One yeah. of the other, um, one of the videos I came across on no, two of the videos I came across online were uh, were tying this particular game in with Halloween, yeah. and it's uh, it's understandable. You might think, oh, you know, it's not it's not really very. It's not scary like a modern survival horror or horrific like a modern game with, you know, like the the new Resident Evil 2 with some of the most, you know, go realistic gore you've ever seen. But it has a it has that fun horror element of Hall that that I think we like about Halloween that is less kind of full on and more like the sort of horror that we would enjoy as as a child, like a childlike horror sensibility to it. Apart from maybe that bit where you go inside the guts of the yeah the IRM stuff as you said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. So what are the differences gameplay wise? We need to talk about the control and locomotion of Arthur because that's what it all boils down to. Uh, first, a nugget of trivia. So this game introduces the double jump to the series of Super Ghoul, of Ghouls and Ghosts, uh, but it is far from the first game with a double jump, uh, according to. Uh, an ode to double, double Jump and The Rise of the Jump, uh, text written about such things. The earliest known titles, uh, title to feature a double jump mechanic was Namco's Dragon Buster, a 1985 arcade machine, later came to Famicom, uh, MSX and Sharp X68000. Uh, there was a sequel later on uh, the PlayStation called Dragon Valor, which I do vaguely remember. I'm not super familiar with dragon buster but uh, good to know that's where the double jump first started of course one of video games great impossibilities um but here it came the double jump came to super ghouls and ghosts in this series you could no longer fire straight up unless you had one weapon the dirk which allows you well it automatically fires up when you first fire it uh so expert players what difference does the double jump and the lack of upward firing make to the ghouls and ghosts formula the double jump for me um is probably the single biggest differential between this game and any other game in the series because yeah. it essentially um everything that was difficult about the other games was about committing to stuff uh about like uh, about uh, panic jumping and stuff like yeah. this, and this gives you the opportunity to undo a panic jump. So that's yeah. that's the, the single biggest thing. It might yeah, not be huge. that mistake that you make might not kill you. Now you can if double you... panic jump. Brilliant. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's mitigation, but you still will go in a pre-calculated jump arc. But the the good the great thing is, and this is what I see a lot of people who are on their blind playthroughs on YouTube, for example, mm. not realize is that you can actually correct course with a double jump. You yep. can jump jump the other way. You have or to. You can you can points. neutrally jump upwards. Oh, yeah. straight up, yeah. Yeah. Mm. Wait, even after jumping forward, you yes. can still do a, a, a jump straight up. It makes no sense. Up, you know? <laughs> um, no, but yeah, it gives gives you some leeway, yeah, but mm. it doesn't get you out of trouble all the time, of course. Let's also not forget that in Ghouls and Ghosts you couldn't only shoot upwards, but also downwards uh, while right. jumping, Good like point. in uh, like a metal slug. Absolutely, yeah. No, that's yeah. a key thing. Uh, again, having watched Ben's videos of that game, firing down is a is a key part of it. So it's interesting. Yeah. Do you now one of the things about talking about these games is because of they are so precisely designed i think this series of games um mm. i wonder obviously we'll never know it'll only be speculation but which do you think came first do you think they said right well we need to change something so uh we'll give arthur this amazing new power of double jumping but we'll need to under you know depower him uh in some way yeah or did they design the levels as they wanted to and then and then sort of work the, the control of Arthur around that? Or I, I guess it, it has to be a, co- a kind of more symbiotic process because one the, the control of Arthur and the design of the levels is inextricably intertwined, isn't it? Yeah, it has to be because there's bits that you, you couldn't possibly do without double jumping. Yes. Um, on level uh, level three, uh, when you do the... Um, before you do the Towers of Molten Steel, when you do the Crucible of Flame bit, when you go over all the kind of uh, furnaces, the bit yeah. where you have to jump onto the platforms that are oh. then appearing... <laughs> out of the uh, out of the lava, um, yeah, you sort wouldn't of be able uh, pumice to do. platforms. Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't be able to do that without kind of double jumping. The other thing for me, why even why, before why, that, uh, the, the tsunami section, uh, there is there is a, a gap that's white, way too wide to jump without a double yeah. jump. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a like you say, there's there's a few bits like that. I think the other thing as well in terms of um, getting rid of like firing up or firing down. The ability to double jump negates the use of that, really, because if you can double jump, it's not mm. very often there'd be anything higher than the arc that you're on at the top of the screen a lot of the time. Mm. Like, you needed to be able to fire upwards because certain enemies were designed like that, certain bits of levels were designed like yeah. that. If you remember in Girls and Ghosts at the start of level f- uh, three, you had Baron Rankle's Tower, didn't you, when you were going up that that kind of vertical elevator bit. Um, yeah. There isn't that real kind of level design in a, in a lot of respects and like i say if, if you could double if you could double yeah. jump it'd be very rare you double jump and then fire up because there'd hardly be any of the screen left sure yeah. and plus it allows them to put enemies on platforms above and they're actually still a consideration whereas before you just simply have to point up and fire and it's quite fun just to take them out like that exactly but there, are a lot, there are lots of sections in this where you're scaling vertically uh, a, a large series of platforms but you have to really think about your next jump because you yeah. can't just clear the the path before you get up yeah that kind of thing yeah this this series has always been about uh imposing limitations on the player uh so it feels natural not to have both for some reasons in this game yeah. as well and it all comes down funnily enough with the uh, both ghouls and ghosts and super ghouls and ghosts final bosses because uh, lucifer mm. in ghouls and ghosts is especially designed with the ability to fire upward in mind. Yep. And yeah, Sardius totally. uh, would, of course, be a joke if you could fire up. Yeah. And he's uh, designed yeah. to, to tackle with the double jump. Yes. Yeah. Good naturally. point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's hard to 
know the yeah the sequence of the discussion uh, as in you know because obviously once yeah once certain once Arthur's abilities were locked in that informs the level design um i suppose but then how did they get to that how did they get to that point where they decided uh, that's and you know i mean also canonically how do you justify arthur double jumping i mean it makes no sense he's wearing a big heavy suit of armor and you know it's physically impossible luckily we don't worry about things like that the other uh new feature key new feature i would say is that if you are wearing armor as well as there being more armor than there was before more variants uh if you have armor your weapons of which there are also more uh get upgraded uh so for instance the dagger which you know is many people's favorite now becomes a, a series of beams which actually goes through stuff and so on and so forth. The very imaginative titled Magic Dagger. <laughs> so by default, you start, as is traditional, with the lance, which becomes the flaming lance. Yeah. Uh, you can beat the game with just th that setup, right? Yeah. It's decent yeah. as well. Flaming lance is very powerful. Yeah. It, it only occurred to me today that when you get the upgrade, the flaming lance with the bronze and golden armor, you can uh, can no longer th shoot at three, uh, two projectiles on screen. It's uh, it's just a single projectile. Yeah, yeah. But but it does more damage. Yeah, yeah. The dagger and the magic dagger, which uh, which Ben swears by, and we can't really argue too hard with him. The axe is a <laughs> notorious uh, no no. Uh, I mean, you can do certain things with it. There, are, it has its moments. Good good to know that the upgrade is not called the magic axe. It's go. the hefty axe. Hefty axe. Yeah. That is manly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Uh, the crossbow we've just talked about. The torch returns, which is most people's least favourite weapon because of, uh, as we talked about in previous shows, it arcs through the air. You can only have one. At, or No, actually, you can have you can have more two. than one in the air, too, in this. Yeah. Two, yeah. Uh, they flame on the ground. They do have their uses. I, I did a whole section of the ice level with this the other day. Uh, you can throw them up onto platforms above, uh, which sort of mitigates not being able to fire yeah. directly up. Um, and the magic torch... Can't remember what what does the magic? How does that buff it? The magic torch. Uh, the 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 let's say the explosion that rips along yeah. the floor becomes higher. So higher. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. Uh, the scythe uh, does a double hit by default, I think, as you check yeah. it. Yeah. Um, the, the thing is, as well, the it uh, follows the contour of the ground, right? Yes. Yeah. The scythe. It's like yeah. it's like the like the discus. Discus. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Und uh, underrated the discus for me. <laughs> yeah. The magic scythe uh, as well. Uh, the tri-blade, which I've also seen called the Dirk, uh, is uh, upgraded to the Shuriken. So I'd never actually collected this until yesterday. Somehow I'd never It's a rare weapon up. drop. Okay. Yeah, I don't think you can get yeah. it till later in the game. I don't think you oh, can get okay. it till like five or six or something. Yeah. It's either the worst thing or the best thing, depending on which screen you're on, basically, um, as far as I could work out. like On yeah. so some areas, it's great. And then you'll still have it when you get to the next area. And it's like, no, this is completely, this is a non-starter because of its yeah, you, weird you no flight reach. pattern. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then, of course, the goddess bracelet, which you'll need to complete the game properly, which works in a similar way to the super weapon in the previous game, gives you a kind of... Uh, a short range Hadouken kind of situation, <laughs> Chun Li's fireball, um, and it's powerful in its powered up form. As always, Arthur can be reduced from his default steel armor, his standard armor, his one hit protection to his underwear, his heart patterned boxer shorts. Remember, and then after that, it's uh, iconically turned into a pile of bones when hit. But this time, you have two upgrades to your armor available. Uh, if you're wearing the steel armor and you get to that part of the chest sequence, you upgrade to bronze. 
which is that kind of bluish copper tinged bronze, I would say, rather than the, the brownish bronze you might think of. Um, yeah. Upgrade your weapon. Then the golden armor now, which is the top tier, uh, you have to be wearing the bronze armor, of course, or the green armor, whatever you want to call it. And this adds now the magical power up. So there are now uh, eight different kind of shinobi style ninpo moments for Arthur. Yeah. Um, and this is the big down. This is the big downside for, to the crossbow for me. Because it's magic just reveals reveals hidden chests. But by the time <laughs> yeah, you, right. you're fully powered up, you're not really looking for chests anymore. So what are the best uh, golden armor magics? Uh, so, if, you know, assuming, say, you had the torch, which you don't generally want. It's the worst weapon in the game, according to many. What would that, what magic would you get from the golden armor if you had the torch? You get the, sh you get the shield magic. So it's three orbs that kind of, uh, kind of uh, circle you. Um, okay. Uh, situationally useful in a couple of spots mm -hmm. um but it's like everything with 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 shield kind of magic you don't really want to I, I i never want to try it out do you know what i mean yeah <laughs> yeah i want to kind of know that it's there without having to actually uh what actually to risk is it, it the <laughs> sort of protection that protects you from all angles or is it hit box based kind of uh, protection like the shields I honestly can't say I've used it often enough to be able to think it. To be honest, it's good to know. I, I generally, uh, I generally moved out. Uh, also, yeah. as well, you you notice with the um, when you get the golden armor, the difference because obviously you had in the uh, in ghouls and ghosts, you had like the normal armor, then the the golden armor, which gave you the magic. The mm. one on this as well, you also get a, a shield. Um, when yes, you first get the golden armor, you mm -hmm. get the moon shield, um, which will one block a, yeah one projectile, which is really quite uh, which is another thing that's really quite quite handy you um, got to you got to sort of aim it though it's not it's not like another hit to your hit no counter, like the, is it? the, it's the thing he has to the the projectile has proper to hit collision you, detection hit, hit you yeah. on the shield yeah it can't just yeah. hit you in the head or something yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and the yeah, sun so shield it's... is the upgrade to that which gives you three projectile hits which is i mean you know by ghouls and ghost standards incredibly generous it's in, unfeasibly unfeasibly yeah. generous yeah. <laughs> the problem is but, it's, but, it's only projectiles not yeah like Enemies Contact. walking into you, yeah, yeah. Yes. So it's very rare that it actually uses uh, yeah. lose a shield and uh, uh, you know, and not just my full armor. I wouldn't, yeah, exactly. getting hit from another it. side. You from almost something else. You almost forget that you've got it. The the level with the the third level, the whatever it's called, the I think it's called Vermilion Horror. I want to say the first bit mm. um, with the uh, the guys who breathe the fire from underneath. Mm. I often yeah. find that if you stop as you're waiting to go down, if one of the enemies stops there, that fire breath will get your shield quite a few times. That's that's yeah. that's the it's probably in all the time I've been playing it, I've probably had my shield knocked off maybe three times. And every right. time it's been in that spot, basically. I, I I think it only happened to me once and that was when I was fighting Sardius and I was just patiently <sighs> standing down and one of the laces hit the shield. Nice. <laughs> and I lost it. And I was just laughing like I can't believe I just what are the chances? Lost the shield in the middle of the the final final moments of the game. Yeah. That's amazing. Uh, so, yeah. which of the golden armor magics are worth uh, having? Which which are the most powerful? Would you say? Um, for, for me, situationally, the 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 magic you get with the dagger, which is the fire the fire dragon one, is good because if you've got an enemy that's about half a screen away. The way the fire dragon magic works is it goes across to the edge of the screen and then it goes straight up. So uh, you can only do it in the first loop, obviously. But when you get to um, 
when you get to the, the two bosses, you get to Astroth and the other guy, the boss of, of um, uh, level seven before you have to go back to Dusarius. Um, they're dead easy with that magic because you can stand at the edge of the screen and they'll come forward and you can kind of lock them so they can't walk any further. And the, the dragon magic will kill them in like two or three, two or three loops that way. Um, yeah, you need to be aware of its flight pattern because it's certainly not a fire yeah. and forget type of magic. It's exactly. not a screen clearing thing yeah. or anything like that. No, exactly. I think yeah. the thing, the other thing with magic as well is that's better in this is that you can be a bit, you can use it a lot more than you did in previous games because the invincibility frame that you've got after using it is significantly longer. So yeah, you actually blink for a while. After yeah. So it doesn't, it, right? it doesn't represent a significant, a significant risk to the point where the, the, the invincibility window is that long. It's possible to it. It's possible to glitch and get invincibility for the full, uh, for the full game by, um, if you go to, um, the level with the, uh, the avalanches, if you uh, set your magic off just as the avalanche hits you, the iframe hits, and then the, the screen, um, the, the avalanche finishes, and you're mm. still invincible, and then you stay <laughs> nice. invincible for the, for, the, for the kind of... I don't know if it's just no. that level or for the duration of the whole game, but you can do the rest of that level and nothing can hit you. Nice. Yeah, because of, the, uh, because of the fact that that, that invincibility frame just gets... Uh, the game basically doesn't know what's happening and just says, oh, stay invincible, and <laughs> you, can, you can kind of do it that way. So magic in general is better for me. There's more opportunities to use it. Situationally, yeah. there's more opportunities to use it. Um, for me, like the thunder magic you get with the lance is really good. Um, the, the the daggers magic, as we've said, is good. Um, the one with the, uh, the the bow and arrow one, it, I don't know. It is very like you say. You're usually at full power when you can use it anyway. It's good if you yeah. want to. It's good if you want to get the next shield and switch weapons. But I mean, it's not. Yeah. Right. It's not really a kind of that that kind of helpful. You get the okay. tornado the tornado magic with a scythe. Um, right, is, that's pretty decent. Yeah, that is pretty good to be honest with you. Um, Very shinobi yeah. that one. Yeah, the the shield magic um, with with the torch for me is, yeah, like I say, shield kind of. I don't know if you if you're not attacking, you're defending for me in a game like that. I don't want to be standing there waiting waiting for something to waiting yeah. for something to go wrong. It also clutters your visibility, doesn't it? Which yeah, exactly. So it's not necessarily the, the, the magic up. for the year. Thing is very good, I think. The magic for the axe is very good. The lightning magic with it, where it goes in all the directions. But the problem is yeah. the weapon's rubbish. Yeah. So like you can't. Yeah. It, it's, <laughs> it's a it's a pretty terrible trade off. And yeah. ironically, the magic for the um the magic for the 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 last weapon, the uh, when it's leveled up, the shuriken is quite good. But once again, it's like you can't just spam that magic throughout the whole thing. You can't get away from the fact that the weapon itself is very situationally kind of yeah. a very situationally based really they yeah. planned it all out meticulously i think is again the the sense that you get in that even the worst weapons situationally you can still progress yeah also yeah. of course it does mitigate by uh there's normally at this is, is it every checkpoint there's a chest if you wait or if you uh kind of that appears near where you start or or just up behind you if you hang around or um, there's, a, there's a lot of them that are based around the uh around the kind of transitional checkpoints there is yeah. a, there is a, a massive amount of hidden hidden chests like yes. which is really really well there needs to be do you know what i mean because the, the yeah. chain of powering up is that much longer yes do you know what i mean you couldn't have like as you add in some of the other games two three chests a level yes. when it takes you a good whatever the sequence is do you know what i mean it takes you a good four mm. or five to get fully powered up yeah, we'll come on to the sequence. I just wanted to mention at this point, because we talked about the, the difficulty and the, the various uh, versions. So, uh, well, regional differences, um, 
as is uh, often the case with uh, Japanese to English games of the era, religious imagery was modified. So the uh, crucifixes in the game uh, from Chomakaimura uh, kind of appear as anks, which is a different <laughs> religious symbol. Um, we're probably saved with that one. Yeah. And the final boss was renamed, uh, as we say, from Samael to Sardius. I don't think Sardius is or means anything to anyone. I, is it just fi pure fiction? Whereas Samael obviously relates to uh, biblical matters. Um, yeah. But more importantly, the PAL version, which was, as far as I'm aware, uh, unoptimized, was bordered and ran slower. Also, not only perhaps to uh, sort of compromise slightly on the difficulty, but also to reduce the potential slowdown of the 50 hertz version, a quite a significant number of enemies were removed from the game. And I, I do it, it's surprising how many. Uh, two yeah. skull flowers, uh, the last Belial fight before the boss, two swinging blades from the ship, four fire killers uh, from stage three. Belial is, is the, the like the skull flaming skull guard uh, thing right yeah 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 yeah, yeah, if I, yeah uh, i've been playing i think ben also the european uh, mm. version or at least from what i saw from this one credit classics clear um and it it is there are quite a lot of uh, differences and also not only that but if you start loop one there's already you you've already got floating floating coffins uh, mm -hmm. on uh, on normal difficulty yeah. and uh, and uh, zombies that uh, come at you at varying speeds like that's loop two in the European version, right? right. But the funny thing is they've took like for example uh, in the the uh, section with the the skull flowers, they I think they've taken out some of the bigger obstacles and enemies in there because the slowdown is mm. severely. Chronic, yeah. Le lessened you know there's yeah. all, there's hardly any slowdown actually it maintains a yeah. consistent frame rate through through most of the game um but the funny thing is i've seen they so i think this is uh, what they did to to uh, mitigate a lot of the slowdown but then i've seen parts in the uh, us and the ntscj version where uh you know where the, the situation is the same you got the same amount of enemies on screen it's not in those sections where they took uh enemies out and the ntsc version still has a lot of slowdown whereas yeah. the the pal version doesn't with the same amount of enemies on screen that's because it's starting from a from a slower starting point of 50 hertz that's yeah that's quite common yeah, yeah. probably probably yeah, yeah. but uh they've 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 done at least in that part, uh, in that aspect, some optimizing on the on the PAL version. Maybe so, maybe. Um, yeah, four skull flowers on stage four. One, four gas streams, which on that bit that I already said on the NTSC version was quite easy. I thought. Yeah. Well, that's the bit that <laughs> that hurt Ben yeah. curiously. Uh, two werewolves on stage five. Two, one red aroma on stage six, and stage seven loses two blue killers and the red aroma, which makes that bit. A whole lot less terrifying. Uh, let's hear from our first forum contributor. This is Pale Avenger, who says, hearing your earlier podcast mentioned that this entry is easier than its predecessors just about gave me an anxiety attack because Super Ghouls and Ghosts is sadistic. The momentum of conservation of your jump is bad enough, killing poor Arthur more often than anything else. A leap out of harm's way usually led to me noticing all too late that a new enemy or projectile is moving directly and unavoidably into my new path. 
The environment changes in unforeseeable ways that are guaranteed to cost a few lives until you memorize the patterns. Walls and pillars block Arthur's progress and his attacks, but not those of his enemies. All true. Enemies spawn in midair, trapping you. Impressive-looking armor upgrades yield no defensive improvement. Several weapons are basically useless. Enemies even have lengthy invincibility periods, during which they can still kill Arthur, of course. What really summed up Super Ghouls and Ghosts was the first time that I opened a treasure chest only for a wizard to leap out and turn Arthur into a baby. Half a second later, infant Arthur was simultaneously eaten by a wolf and set on fire. <laughs> As I screamed at the uncaring void, a part of me had to laugh at the sheer delight this game takes in finding new ways to murder the player. It took me over three hours and hundreds of deaths across multiple play sessions to claw through the very first level. Ha you all have my undying admiration, not I don't really, for persevering through this game, but I, for one, am happy to admit defeat and play something else instead. Well, good try, uh, Pale yeah. Avenger. Can't really argue <laughs> with anything you say, and that serves as a warning to those who are listening to this uh, podcast and thinking, oh, I could give that a try. Um, you might have an experience uh, along those lines. But wait, we have more later. Uh, I didn't look too closely into what the difficulty settings changes. Obviously, we already know that the PAL version is different to the NTSC versions. Um, having played now on, played through the game on the on the default and and playing through on the beginner setting, it seems that enemies take fewer hits. Um, they they move a bit slower, perhaps. Beyond that, I'm not sure what the core differences are. I know Ben, you always play on the default anyway. Yeah, I think I think buses um bosses don't take as many hits i think Makes like um, and they've got a lot of the bosses will have simpler patterns and less attacks um the the core yeah. enemies generally uh, behave quite similarly but there might yes. just be a few more of them mm -hmm. um a lot of the time or maybe like with with some of them you'll see that if they've got a uh, an animation to fire a projectile it'll be quicker than it would be normally so you've got less time to kind of uh, do you know what i mean to kind of uh take them out really without yeah. the screen just clogging up full of uh, projectiles mm. but i mean i don't I don't know. I've I've played it on every. I, I don't say I can't really tell much of a difference, but I don't think there's. I don't a, think a, it's overly striking a, overall. No, yeah. I don't. There's a vast amount of difference. I think if you did one, then the other, then the other, obviously you'd notice. But I think like yeah, the the overriding kind of difficulty difficulty ethos and curve of the game is such that yeah, it's it's hard. What it's hard, however you play it. To be honest, yeah, totally. I played to the. Uh, up to the uh, boss of the uh, icy forest of the frozen forests on professional difficulty today just cranked it right up because i was feeling brave after yes. my uh two loop clear and i was thinking yeah you know i mean it's it can't be that much harder um and the, f the funny thing is in a way it isn't because mm. you've already gotten knowledgeable about uh, the game to a point to where more enemies spawning and yep. uh bosses taking more hits isn't really, you know, isn't really throwing you for a huge curveball, mm. uh, and you've already this this game has already taught you to be apprehensive, like uh, all all games in the series, you know. So when you inch forward and more enemies are spawning in a spot than you're used to, you're dealing with it because you were already apprehensive in the first place. It's not like you uh, run into unforeseen things all of a sudden, uh, but. I, whereas on normal difficulty, I can get by quite easily if I get a less than ideal weapon. Mm. Uh, just get, you know, I can look after myself and take care of myself until I get a better weapon. 
you really feel the pain on uh, professional difficulty when you get a less than ideal weapon yeah, because okay. all of a sudden you find yourself at severe disadvantages against the onslaught. Mm. So those treasure chests we talked about, the sequence, as uh, as Ben says, it is uh, it's lengthy. Uh, if you're wearing the basic armor, as you are by default, uh, your first chest will open a weapon. After that, you get the bronze armor. Then you get the gold armor. Then you get the sun shield. Then you get the moon shield. Then you get a weapon again. After that is a new, a lovely new item called the trap, which is like a bear trap or a man trap and can hurt you. And after that, it cycles between random weapon and or magician or sorcerer. Those who transform you into helpless and harmless <laughs> characters. I've only seen two of these. Uh, I see that uh, one of you is, I assume it was you, Mikhail, you've added a couple of... Uh, transformations in the game yeah i've been turned into a wasp and a seal as well <laughs> that's really cute i want to see those i've only yeah. seen the baby and the sort of maiden um yeah. <laughs> so the, these transformations don't last terribly long and actually unless there's already a ton of stuff on screen it's quite often just whereas i would say just out. in the yeah in the previous games it seemed to be more of a, a real danger whereas in this game it seemed to be more of a kind of comedy moment just like oh i am a baby um, you can jump, and that's all you can do. Um, you could you could fire, right? When you got turned into the old man on the the other games, you could still oh, fire. That's true. Yeah. Whereas in these, you can't. And with the baby, if yeah. you if you jump when you land, he like lies on the floor and starts crying. So you can't <laughs> so you can't physically move. You can jump as you can jump and move as the wasp and the maid yeah. and the seal, but you can't fire yeah. as any of them. The wasp um, jumps. Yeah, well, kind of. Yeah, it, I've it, got a flying kind of jumping arc, but yeah, you can jump as a wasp quite strangely. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, I want to see the seal. It sounds cute. Yeah. Um, yes, and if you uh, don't have the basic armor, the regular armor, the first chest you open, because uh, this is the kind of game this is, it's basically it rewards you if you're already doing well and punishes you if you're already doing badly. The magician pops out the first chest, then you get a different weapon, then another magician, and then, only then, can you get your the safety of your regular armor back. And only then can you start the other chest sequence as mentioned above, where you can start to power up with uh, bronze and gold armors and shields and things. Hmm. Another difference to this game compared to the original, and this is where the the fact that this was never a coin-op, never an arcade machine comes into play. You can kind of rack up. You can you can play it as a high score game. Everything's got points and everything's got a, a value to it, the same as its predecessors. But now money bags give you lives and continues right uh i haven't actually clocked the values on these by default but the yeah when you see a game over screen you see money bags yeah. and the amount of credits you have left exactly so if you keep playing and keep dying as long as you keep collecting money bags of which there are many dotted around you will get to keep playing so your buy-in now rather than real coins is virtual coins from the game and this yeah. is another area in which i suppose the game is quote easier in that just by can by, by you can persist rather than having to feed more actual money into the game. These yeah. things have no yeah. use to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the only reason I started uh, running out of lives and continues was because I was stuck at those two second to last bosses mm. uh, last week. Understandable. Uh, yeah, there's no you. You can't really keep on adding credits to your uh, score anymore after that. Yeah. 
so we talked about uh, some of the sort of high points and set piece of the levels. We've mentioned the um, going to hell and the belly of the beast and uh, the being on the raft. Any other sort of standout points that you think are particularly sort of uh, delightful sequences, either the way they look and feel to play or uh, or that they're, you know, so intricately designed? Any bits that you come up to and think, oh, yeah, I love this bit? Not sure about loving, but I have this really <laughs> weird compulsive thing with uh, the uh, final section of the frozen forest where oh, yeah. the, uh, Kill all the, the, the up yeah. and down we weaving yeah. uh, flying armors with the shields appear all of a yeah. sudden. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm re you really have to inch forward in that section very slowly because the uh, icicle patterns uh, pop up in front of you. Mm. And it's actually best to just keep moving forward, but I can't help myself with turning around every time one flies behind me and oh, killing yeah. it. You know, I have to kill them all all the time. It's completely yeah. compulsive, even if it goes against my survival instincts. Yes. Yeah, there's a, there's a great bit there. Like uh, the bit before that, before you go into that cave, there's like a um, there's a, a a chest you can get, but what you need to do is jump off a cliff to get it. Yeah. So as you as you climb up, yeah. you jump off a cliff and then have to jump back. And if you mess it up, then you die, obviously. But yeah. like it, it always seems so counterintuitive to jump straight yeah. off the cliff and then hop back in and, and spawn the chest. But yeah, I'm with you on that. I love that bit with the uh, with the icicles because the pattern's random as well. Uh, yeah, and, yeah, and... that's a mode seven trick, I think. Those those icicles because they're kind of semi organic, you know, pseudo organic, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's a, that level's really good to be honest. I think that kind of like you say, it's it, the the first two or three are all so fantastic and so atmospheric and thematic. And yeah, four four does seem strange and it's like almost with five they just kind of rein it in again and you're like okay this is like the the kind of uh, it seems even better like i say because it makes more sense linearly than do you know yeah. what i mean all of a sudden randomly being inside the do you know what i mean the, the stomach of a giant ghoul <laughs> <laughs> yeah to exactly to give you an idea listeners if you haven't played this game and you're just listening along because you you like these podcasts and old games talking about them uh, kind of Everything in this game is, or not everything, but a lot of stuff in this game is spiky, as in, like, you can, uh, as well as having to think about all the enemies kind of lumbering on screen at you and shooting ice breath or fireballs at you or whatever, there's also considerations like on the aforementioned ice level, you can't jump too high, because uh, yeah. in the second section, there are these very, you know, pretty, nicely drawn pink kind of ice stalactites uh, but you might just think they're background scenery, but oh no, oh no, they'll take your armor off or kill you. Yeah. Uh, and there's some, yeah, some undersides of bone, bony platforms, uh, which you would think the game would be harsh enough just giving you these precarious platforms to jump on and off with their sort of conveyor belts of bones on, kind of dragging you off in the wrong direction. But you can also just ever so slightly mistime the arc of your jump and headbutt the spikes on the underside of the platform yeah. to your left and yeah. so on and so on and so on. And, and yeah, you mentioned earlier, there are these in the lava, these platforms that pop up from the lava and, and the, the, the stone cools and like, uh, yeah, like pumice stone. And that's where I lose most of my lives is the getting the double jump wrong. So you, you have to kind of, or you're supposed to butt up against the ceiling because Otherwise, your arc is too long for a double jump or depending or you can execute the second part of the jump at the very start of the jump. But each one's ever so slightly different. So yeah. this game will yeah. never. They're all different. Uh, exactly. Different this, the game yeah. will rarely give you a, oh, well, I've just done that. So I know how to do it. 
everything's kind of very deliberate. And it's, and it's right before the checkpoint, right? So you can yes. do, start all over again. Yep. That part. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, you really get to yeah. know those sections very well. But again, yeah. that feels deliberate. And for those people who find re replaying and retrying parts of games like the opposite of how they want to enjoy video games, there's probably nothing here for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> really. Because yeah. that is kind of part yeah. of it. We were saying on, again, earlier, discussing the game before the podcast, uh, knowledge is more important than execution. Execution is a part of it, but knowledge is more important. And actually what you're doing is almost Dragon's Lair-like. Uh, you're remembering a huge, long sequence of events. I think the beauty of uh, this whole series is that because of the erratic movement of a lot of enemies, you still have to watch out for what's happen mm. what happens. You still have to react to things that are going on on the screen. So it's not 100% memorization. No. no, no. And this is what maybe keeps these games so fresh and so, so addictive. Uh, I've learned at least. Even though this is the, the, the second... Maybe, you know, it's, it's not the, the, the best game in the, ser in the series to me. It, it did all of a sudden having clear two loops have that effect on me where I wanted to keep on playing. Mm. Yeah, it, be it becomes less kind of alien. And the, the, the thing is, like, you're, you're less likely to make uh, bad decisions when you're kind of more comfortable with the game and the surroundings of the game. Like, it's memorizing kind of things and bits and pieces and with me, like, progress running stuff. So, like, getting specific save states and maybe doing a certain sequence before something yeah. happens. 10 or 50 Training. or 100 or 500 times like till that becomes <laughs> yeah. second nature is is a part of kind of doing that but what mm. what else you're doing as well as kind of conditioning yourself to mentally remember those parts is that you're conditioning yourself to the familiarity of this setting so nothing in this setting kind of throws you off so when i sit down and play a, a ghoul's game it's a different headspace straight away because i've been there so many times and like quirks and things happen and i'm more likely to be able to deal with them can and execute them in a kind of uh, a level-headed way because of that degree of familiarity that I've got with these games and specifically with with specific parts and and kind of patterns. And I think we we said at the start and we said it on the the, the term we use all the time is uh, is kind of panic jumping and I love that. Yeah. And it's so <laughs> it's so true. You hear in um, I see it in the uh, in a bit of a thing about mixed martial arts all the time. Like if two mm. guys want to stand up and have a fight and then one gets hit, you hear the term panic wrestling. So the guy gets hit like, oh yeah. no, I better take him down right. so I don't get hit again. It's the same with this. Like if you get if something happens that's outside of your field of control, you'll go back to yeah. kind of a an instinct. And that instinct nine times out of ten when something bad happens there is to try and get out of the way. And that's so true yeah. with, with panic jumping. But the more you play this and the more <laughs> this gets in your head, the like the more familiar kind of this is. Uh, this kind of becomes and it's, it's it's an essential part of getting a grips with with any of these games really is to just get to get that familiarization yeah. with the settings i would liken it to people who uh, go back through over and over again like survival horror games in that sense that the game's no longer scary they're just i mean also capcom thinking about resident evil games they're no longer scary but they're just finding the the optimal route and they've become super comfortable with everything that happens even once where it it terrified them yeah, yeah. exactly the bosses then, uh, as always, just when you think you've completed a level, of course, there's a some kind of larger enemy to be dispatched. If you fail to take them out, you, uh, are they, I can't remember. Are there checkpoints just before bosses or is it half, no. No, halfway yeah, through the stage? The, yeah. Uh, yeah. The half points. Yes. Uh, again, yeah. So 
that adds uh, a little extra tension. The first one is a cockatrice. Uh, does even though yeah. it doesn't really behave the same, it does remind me of the ghouls and ghosts boss. Um, I mean, one of the key things actually that I think there was actually a, a lot of misunderstanding when Super Ghouls and Ghosts came out. A lot of people thought it was Super Ghouls and Ghosts, like Ghouls and Ghosts, but on the Super Nintendo. And it turns out it's a completely different game. It is a full-blown sequel. Uh, it's not Ghouls and Ghosts, the game, but with a bit of Mode 7 in it is an <laughs> entirely new game. And the first boss, although, yeah, reminds me of uh, the fellow with the head um, in the first game. It's really, yeah, it's not much like it other than it has a, a big stretchy yeah. neck. Other than The thing is than that it. it fulfills a similar fun function to yeah. the shielder, right? Yeah, uh, with with the the the, the stre head stretching, of yes. course, but also the, the shielder's head will appear on walls in the final castle in Ghouls and Ghosts. Yeah, here the cockatrice's head will Very appear true. on the walls of the final yeah final section of the game. But probably the uh, yeah, it's um, it overall I would say uh, not not the hardest boss in a Ghouls and Ghosts Ghosts and Goblins. No, game. distance is your friend with that one. Like yeah. you can, yeah. like getting it to lead onto the screen, and you being from the other side of the screen. If you've got a decent weapon, then then yeah, it's, it, it doesn't take much. Uh, doesn't take much much to do. Storm Cesaris, the barnacle monster. They get to do some fun again. I think the probably the part of this monster is mode seven. Maybe some of the. Bar, I'm not sure. Maybe it's sprites only. Um, but you're on a little raft. Uh, actually, it doesn't really change your approach does it being on a raft because the raft moves underneath you by yeah. magic somehow yeah yeah you, you need to uh i guess there are moments where it doesn't do anything you can just go up to it and start smashing it in the face with whatever weapon you're using yeah and then when you you sort of learn when it starts firing the the conch shells or what you know it's it's missile like projectiles mm. uh, and that's why you just have to create distance so you have space to, to avoid them. Deathcrawler reminds me of a, again, like an IRM or a, you know some kind of horizontally scrolling shoot-em-up boss in that it's about, yeah, really, uh, for the most part, sitting in one place with a couple of wiggles and a, and a double jump. <laughs> it's, that, it's that bit on the first yeah. level of R-Type where you go into yeah. that circular thing and shoot the thing and all the laser Very blobs. It's, yeah. exact, it's exactly the same thing. That's yeah, a very yeah. mode 70 monster as well. Totally, yeah. yeah. And and it's a complete boss of uh, one of two complete jokes of bosses in the game, I feel like, which uh, which are uh, uh, an embarrassment to previous bosses in the, in the series. That's harsh. It does drop some rocks <laughs> on you. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I never get hit by those. It's, yeah. it's random which way it drops them, though, right? Because it can yeah. fire them across. Yeah. It can fire them horizontally and vertically. Um, yeah, but the yeah, horizontal with the, ones yeah. get me. With the right weapon, um, it's it's all like you say though. It's if you've got that, if you've been able to get through without losing your your armor and what's it with the right weapon, uh, the right set of magic. Yeah, it's it's toast pretty quickly. That's true of all of them up until the last couple of levels, I would say, isn't it? If yeah. you've got the if you've got the gear, uh, the next level is more of a battle against slowdown. Uh, the high. Oh yeah, <laughs> which is the yeah. slowest downiest bit in the game, uh, in my experience. Three headed dragon. And, and another joke of a boss. I, I, I never die at this one. Yeah, distance again. Do you know what I mean? If you're staying at yeah, the back of the yeah. screen nine times out of ten, um, that's, yeah. Yeah, it's fairly. I, I wanted to compare him to the, the, the single headed dragon of Ghosts and Goblins, and that one just flies all over the place yeah. and gets up all in your face and moves all erratically. And this one just uh, yeah, stays at a nice distance. Yeah. Once, once, every, uh, once every in a while, it, it shoots out, one of the heads shoots out a fireball. If you play it on a higher difficulty, it will shoot out two or three fireballs in succession. But still easy to deal with if you keep your distance. 
Beruaro Ken, or the Emperor of Evil, is the spiky samurai-ish ice boss of the ice level. Uh, one real uh, peculiarity, I would say, of this boss is that it has an attack which doesn't hurt you. As in, it, ha- yeah. it has it's the only thing in the game that can hit you and it freezes you, which obviously can be a, a, a dangerous thing because you don't want to be stuck there. But it's got that, you know, something you'd expect out of Mario or something where, or, or, or indeed uh, Zelda, where you, you get frozen in ice and you hammer a button to wiggle yourself free or the D-pad, and you're okay. I, I was amazed that didn't take off my armor. <laughs> yeah. First time that happened to me, I exactly I had the same reaction like you. Like, huh, I'm still in my armor? I know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's crazy. Um, yeah. But this, uh, the attack that gave me problems with this one is its other attack, actually, which is the sort of icy, I think it's meant to be like icy whirlwinds or something. I'm not really sure. Yeah, I think it shoots off its wings. Okay, but the second yeah. one, the second one uh, has a further reach than the first one. Uh, yeah, and this this boss can be yeah can, can catch you off guard and can be annoying, especially if it, if you're if you're cornered, if you move if you've moved too far back to the mm. to to the left side of the screen. What's your technique for this, Ben? Other than have the right gear. <laughs> yeah, um, same thing. Like weapon selection, obviously a big a big thing. I also notice as well that if you're using the daggers, which I usually am at that point, if you like scroll it just onto the screen and then let your magic and walk forward it'll it'll take it'll move up generally at the mm. start and so it'll yeah. move it'll not only get hit by the magic but then it'll move up and follow the arc of it so i mean you can kind of half kill it with one magic like that if you uh, if you kind of time it right and then it's it's cake after that really but like i say if you if you can't execute that then it's like anything like the longer the fight goes on the more chance there is you're going to die so i mean if you can any kind of that's why when you look at like boss strategies the speedrunning ones are always the best ones. Do you know what I mean? Because they just eliminate the risk. Like the quickest way from, from A to B to kill a boss is the, the safest way. Do you know what yeah. I mean? 99, yeah. 99% of the time. If you look at the uh, Castlevania run I did this Halloween, the no death one, all mm. the boss kills there are all speedrun strategies because it's just mm. it's just min- minimize risk. So, I mean, if you can get that, if you can get it with some magic at the start, you can generally half kill it before it really knows what day it is. That's, 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 that's <laughs> ideal. Uh, the crowned prince of hell, Astroth, makes a return. I think he'd actually be quite cute if he stopped snarling and didn't have a stomach yeah. in his uh, mouth in his stomach. Yeah. That's his face. Yeah, that's weird. Face. Yeah, and he has, he has uh, Santa Claus uh, clothes. On. I know. Yeah, jo- jolly fuzzy. Giant. Is there a is there a, a, a chibi version in any game ever? Like one of the one of the Marvel versus Capcom games or something? Because I feel like there should be a chibi Astroth somewhere in in the world. <laughs> That'd be solid. Yeah. yeah. Uh, same real technique as the previous game, I guess. Jump high and hit him in the head. Yeah, yeah. Keep moving backwards. If you if you're doing it with the um, the same thing like with the, the that's another reason why. If if you look at like the two parts of every weapon, apart from the uh, apart from the the goddess bracelet, you look at the magic and you look at the the actual weapon itself. The the reason why I rate the dagger so much is that both elements of it are really quite good. Like there's there's other uh-huh. weapons that are arguably situationally better, but the magic doesn't kind of hold up. And because they've made yeah. the magic in this more usable, um, yeah. 90% of bosses, if you go with the, the, the dagger magic charged up, like I say, you can generally you can generally drag them in the face while they're still, do you know what I mean, tying the shoes. And then, <laughs> and then like, uh, yeah, just keep moving backwards and kind of, uh, and, and going for the head. And, and yeah, it doesn't take, uh, it doesn't take too long. It doesn't take too long with a goddess bracelet if you time it right. This is so funny because... Uh... Because I, uh, my weapon of choice is the crossbow, which has no offensive magic. 
So all I have to do with the crossbow is uh, just hang back and fire off the the shots and ne- never let it come near me. Yeah. And you know, just just fire. It's basically fire and forget and hang around in the pit area there. Yeah, exactly. Just out, just out of reach, so you can keep on hitting them, both him and and and, uh, and him and Nebroth. But maybe that's why I was so ill prepared to have to take it take the fight to them with the yeah, exactly. bracelet and why it took me so hard because I actually had to. I had to, actually had to get in there now. Yeah, for, for me, like the non-magic version of the crossbow is more reliable. Like that's like the non-magic version of the crossbow for those two, for Astroth and Nebroth. It's not even funny how easy that is because you've just basically got yeah. a shot that's going to hit him in the face hundreds of times. Where it's the sweet science. Do you know what I mean? You're on the outside, yeah. napping him, and he can't get anywhere near you. Um, yeah. But yeah, like it, it's it is it is kind of cool for them. Nebroth is he's powered up superior i suppose uh less cute yeah, yeah. more angry and for, so, for some reason the small laser attack that he that he that uh, his predecessor has has now been transformed to something that, that resembles three skyscrapers sideways that goes <laughs> goes the entire length of the screen yeah. and his fire attacks better as well mm. yeah so you, you don't want to be standing on uh on on the same platform uh too much with with him because he he, he fires it uh Straight, straight across uh, from there. You're safe from that laser attack if you stay in the pit. Uh, the fire attack reaches much further, but uh, Astaroth's fire attack actually goes through walls, and his doesn't. So there is a safe spot uh, if you uh, duck right in front of the platform, the raised platform that they're uh, uh, they're standing on, which keeps you out of reach. But it's only temporarily, in a sense, because you have to move out of there, otherwise they'll keep standing there. And eventually, on your second loop, you get to fight, as we already mentioned, the Demon Emperor, Samael, or Sardius, uh, who, like his uh, his lieutenants, has... And this seems to be a, a recurring theme. I don't know if it's a traditional Japanese thing. I've seen a lot of enemies with stomachs, uh, stomach mouths or armour stomach mouths. Uh, he has one of those as well. Uh, yeah. and a bony hat and some handy platforms which transport you up to <laughs> shoot him in the head why has he put those and, there yeah. no no that's the face that's the face in his stomach he's actually your friend he's helping you out he oh, spits okay. out the platforms right, for right, you right, so right. you can defeat his hated oh, okay. uh, his hated head <laughs> that makes sense that makes sense yeah it's, it's patience without fight a lot like you have got way more time than you actually need and uh, mm. and kind of gambling on a platform that might be right um, is really isn't worth it because you can no. tell you can yes. tell ninety nine point nine percent of the time when a platform is going to be right and at that point with the other good thing about that is is you can maximize the number of hits you get because we talked about double jumping before yeah. as you get to the top you can jump past him and then as you go slightly below him you can do a double jump straight up in the air turn and get some shots in from the other side that's where land. execution is a bigger part of it but yes yeah yeah. yeah. And there's not a lot of uh, of the the boss character sprites. It's probably part sprite, part part background yeah. that actually has a has a hurt box on it. Yeah. Hmm. Then once again, uh, you are reunited with Prin Prin. Um, I'm not sure about subsequent games in the series and where where they take that story. Uh, the ultimate games on the PSP and the Maximo games and Maximo is a different character altogether. So uh, we'll look into that if we ever cover. Uh, those games on the podcast um demon's crest looks like a looks like a winner at some point maybe mm. 
Uh, and yeah, you can complete the game and feel very, very uh, good about yourself. So uh, obviously there's recorded record, Ben, of you doing it. Uh, can you remember the, the sort of explosion of, of glee and joy for this one? Was it was it one of those where you're uh, encouraging people to you know, climb mountains and do the yeah. impossible? Lead a better life. Yeah, it was Lead one of them, life. to be honest with you. It was like it. Yeah, I do remember. It's the same thing with all these games, like the ones that are super difficult that I put a lot of time into. Like anything seems possible. Like the limits that we kind of put on ourselves don't seem to exist when you've taken a game that's or taken something that's so notoriously difficult and yeah. managed to some way find a way through it. This one felt more epic, I suppose, maybe than mm. the others, and that's a word that get used quite gets used quite a lot. But I just simply mean just because of how long it was. Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? I think I want to say the video's like an hour and 30 minutes maybe an hour and 20 right. minutes and or mm. something like that so i mean it's because the levels are longer do you know what i mean and, and there's more of them and there's there's more elements that that require a bit more kind of a a bit more time also as well like there's there's bits that it, it like you can't speed the progress up of so you say about the bits with the raft on the the second part of the second level that's predetermined how long that level is Yes, you can't go any quicker Full than scroller, the screen. Yeah. Exactly, you can't go any mm. quicker than the screen and let you kind of uh, let you kind of scroll. But uh, yeah, I do remember beating that, and I remember thinking to myself, like, this is a really good clear. I hope a few people see this. And then, I, yeah. and then I remember a few days later thinking to myself, what I should have done was while I was still at that level of practice and play, kept going and tried to get a no death, but I didn't because of the recording schedule. I was like, right, I better go on and do something yeah. else, and I haven't. Um, but I keep thinking to myself, like in the off season, I should really get good at this again. And then NTSC J, my yeah, friend. Yeah, there where you it's go. Going. And then come in. And I, and I was also goading you, right? Like, uh, yeah, I mean, that's that's pretty cool, beating super ghouls and ghosts. But why don't you try, try uh, regular ghouls and ghosts? Yeah, a lot of a lot of people <laughs> did that. And yeah. uh, do you know what I mean? Like when we did the ghouls and ghosts podcast, and you were like, well. That version's uh, that there's that other version that's a bit more difficult, and I was like, "Oh, is it? Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful." Sorry about that. Don't yes. worry about it. You'll be like, you'll be more than impressed in a couple of weeks. I promise you. Oh yeah, I yeah, promise yeah. you. Uh, you, don't, you don't have to worry about impressing me at least. No, we we are. <laughs> I'm, I'm already. We are bowing down uh, yeah. to your. Let's well, yeah, as much. You're, as you're my you're my guru and my teacher. Absolutely. There we go. Well, pre prepare to, however impressed you are, prepare to be impressed a lot more in a couple of weeks. That's all I'm going to say to you. <laughs> yeah. I promise you, you'll be super impressed. One credit classics <laughs> on YouTube. Seek it out. Um, yeah, so there is this GBA version if you're looking for another challenge as well, which is there's more to it than you might think. Um, I don't know how aware you are of this, Ben, um, but... Uh, this was released, obviously, some years later, uh, more than a decade later. Uh, Co-developed, I read in one place by a team called Affect. I don't know too much about it. I've also seen it credited to Capcom USA, so I don't yeah. know if Affect was just the name of the part of Capcom USA that, that did the job. Um, there's a few differences. Uh, so lower resolution, because it's on a Game Boy Advance, uh, which means that the screen is kind of you're a bit more zoomed in, uh, which naturally means things are a little harder, although possibly it means there are fewer enemy enemies on screen at any one time. But the consensus is that the GBA version is harder than the Super Nintendo game. Uh, the intro has been reworked. It actually looks rather nice, but misses the official Mode 7 effects. Uh, the sound is now GBA sound, which is not always the best. Um, it's a bit more chippy uh, a bit less sample based um, but actually the uh, ruined village 
I always forget the official title. Um, the Burning Village is uh, is reworked here uh, yeah. with the GBA sound chip in it. I think it actually sounds rather nice. There's also a save slot. This game, it was based, you know, it was produced for a handheld console. You might want to switch it off um, when you get off the bus or whatever. So this game actually allows you to, it's just got one save slot, but it has a save slot. Uh, Known as Chumakamura R in Japan, features an arrange mode which enables the player to choose from redesigned levels and bosses based on ghouls and ghosts and ghosts and goblins, depending on their success in keeping the bronze armor or a higher difficulty tier of the standard levels based upon keeping the golden armor. Unlike the normal mode in arrange, the goddess bracelet is accessible during the first run. Unlike the Capcom Generations Classics collection ports, the Game Boy Advance port retains the slowdown of the original Super NES version, even in the redesigned levels. So it's kind Ooh. of artificial slowdown, which is curious. So yeah. I've been watching people playing this. Um, it is cool. As I saw one video, the guy said he absolutely loves the SNES game and the GBA version has its problems with the change in screen size and resolution and whatever else. But if, and it's pure fantasy, it would never happen. But if there had been a version that featured the features, the arrange mode of the, of the GBA version, but put back into the Super NES, you know, screen size and graphics, it would be the ultimate edition of Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Um, yeah. I mean... So yeah, the idea of playing that basically you've got you've got on the arrange mode you've got the top row which is the hardest version of Super Ghouls and Ghosts there is, and you have to have the gold armor to get to it uh, and access the next level. The bottom row is basically the Super Nintendo game. The middle row brings in old levels, including the original stage one from Ghosts and Goblins and yeah. the famous village and stuff like this. So yeah, I never played it sadly. Yeah, I'm I'm look, looking into getting a copy now because uh, I really like the way the uh, the 16-bit uh, redone the or in Super Nintendo style redone the uh, the older uh, yes. levels of the of the series. It looks really cool, and some of the the enemies in there and the bosses as well, like mm. the, Cy the Cyclops or the Unicorn is back again. Yes, uh, and they've remixed his, some uh, of the bosses with his, with his, his studded uh, waistcoat. It's always a solid look. <laughs> In 60-bit glory, yeah. And, for instance, the boss of that uh, the Burning Village stage is now an armoured armour, <laughs> um, like a big, bad, swooping yeah. Oh, yeah. red armour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fires, than... really fires cool. loads of stuff out. Yeah, I've, had yeah. A, I've played this quite a bit recently. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it's good. It's, very, it's so hard. I'll level with you. <laughs> it is so difficult. The oh, other no. thing is, as well, is there's levels that are completely new to any game. Do you know what I mean? So there's, not, okay. there's, there's rework levels. And there's levels that yeah. are, are in pure and there's like new ones, but there's there's levels and bosses and characters and sprites and stuff mm. that is completely different. And okay. like yeah. the like the village of decay level has got uh, or the bit I I played at had a bit mm. where there was a completely different like set of jumps um that were at that seemed like part of a different level. Like it Yikes. was strange. Very strange, but good. Very Would you good. say the design for those new bits was as tight as the original? Yeah, like I, I, it didn't feel like it all. It didn't feel like a rehash of any of it. It just felt okay. like a completely new game. It was really, hmm. it was really good. What I'm, yeah, I, I keep thinking because I've got one of the old, um, uh, one of the old DSIs, one the last DS that you could play Game Boy Advance games on. Um, yeah, DS Lite. Of, yeah, yeah, DS Lite. That's the one. I keep thinking to myself, 
I'll pick a copy of this up because obviously I've mm. played it through it. I've played it through various uh, means of emulation, but I keep thinking to myself, I'll kind of... Uh, yeah, I'll I've still got my GameCube GBA player. So I oh, really? Play there. Yeah, play it on yeah. the big screen. Mm. Wow, that'd be awesome. You should one credit it, mate. I should, why would you say that? <laughs> it's just how these things start. <laughs> you should just do it. It's so, okay. It's so, so easy for us to I talk, I don't think right? the, because... the European version is any different this time. So whichever one you clear, you'll have done it properly, unlike That's... with Super Ghouls and Ghosts. That's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Keep talking. <laughs> Super Ghouls and Ghosts was used in a bit of Fry and Laurie, the uh, comedy sketch show with uh, Stephen Fry and Hugh Laurie, uh, involved in uh, one of the sketches uh, in the last episode of Series 4. Uh, the game was the subject of a debate between a sullen teenager and his father, played by Laurie and Fry respectively. In the show, the character played by Laurie claims that the game ends after level 9 and actually stops playing when he supposedly finishes it, whereas in fact, Super Ghouls and Ghosts has only eight stages. Right. <laughs> Beautiful bit of trivia. Yeah. <laughs> uh, now we've got a great post from Simon Sloth. Simon Sloth from the forum, canerince.com slash forum. Completing a game in the Ghouls and Ghosts series has become something of a personal goal for me. Diabolically hard as a child, ridiculously tricky as an adolescent, and soul-destroyingly difficult as an adult, I have approached each one of these games with trepidation as to how far down the rabbit hole I'm going to fall this time. I rarely give up on a game without seeing the credits roll unless it's really not my cup of tea. So the previous two entries have been something of a blemish on my copybook. I decided that this one I was going to see those credits. Made it through the first level relatively easily after only the 200th attempt, give or take 10 credits here or there. So pretty much plain sailing until I reached the floating level on the log, which was made all the more difficult by my own ineptitude. The first couple of logs you jump on swirl in little whirlpools and to inch over the edge ends in death. So one would assume the same of subsequent logs. This led to me being stuck on a log to the far right of the screen, having to time jumps before anything appeared. I started writing down the timings to the second of each hazard which I encountered until I found it completely impossible. A quick look at YouTube gave me the answer that you could move the log left and right. Yes, I am an imbecile. Suddenly, this impossible section was rendered possible, but still one for the video game savants, and I resorted to save states for this sequence. I hold my hands up and say that I used them throughout the rest of the game, but increasingly sparingly. Surprisingly, aside from the two sequences on the moving platforms, I found the game got easier as it went on, and many of the bosses were defeated through cheap shots and cowardice. <laughs> so, a mere few thousand attempts later, which is probably an underestimate, I defeated the final boss. Following, my Rocky Balboa star collapsed to my knees whilst I shouted my wife's name, covered in blood, sweat and tears. I noticed Arthur's damsel in distress slowly telling me I needed to return with a bracelet to defeat the true final boss. Suddenly, I remembered the previous podcasts and the need for another playthrough, right from the beginning, but harder. I felt sick. I beat the game again. It took me an evening. I didn't get the bracelet. Fortunately, the game is kind and sends you back to the beginning of the sixth level this time. I did it again. No bracelet. I read some forums for tips. No bracelet. I then watched a YouTube walkthrough and found the easiest way was to open multiple chests in a row without getting hit until you unlock the armour, which reveals a hidden chest with the bracelet. What? So, technically, in this really hard game, I've been made to play through twice in its entirety, and then the last level's multiple additional times, I now have to get through some very tricky sequences without getting hit. 
It turns out by this point I'm actually quite good at the game, and this wasn't that hard. So I reached the final boss, who would have been nigh on impossible to January Simon, but February Simon annihilated him, after about 300 goes. This time I sat in silence. No celebration, just the sound of my own heartbeat. Piece of cake, really. This whole saga has made me appreciate the YouTubers and speedrunners who are able to tackle games like this. I realise it takes skill, but like anything, to get good it takes an immense amount of time. And tea. Lots and lots of tea. My man. Uh, after your own heart. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. This, this, this type of persistence needs to be applauded. Yeah. Yeah. Well done, man. I can't fault that. Uh, I just wanted a brief mention because, as I said, we may come back to the series, its spin-offs, its spiritual successes, its sequels. Wouldn't it be amazing if they released like a, a downloadable version of the PSP games for Switch or something like that with tarted up graphics? I would be well up for that. Um, but there has been a recent, uh, completely unofficial spiritual successor. And I just think it's worth mentioning, especially as we have in the panel today, somebody who reviewed it for the Kane and Rince blog. This is Battle Princess Madeline. Uh, as you mentioned in your review, Mikhail, a very sweet story behind the game. Some pretty mm. accomplished sprite art. Mm -hmm. And a game that definitely does have influences in the Ghoul's Ghost series, but some significant problems in your opinion. Yeah, uh, I mean, funnily enough, I think it's got the main mechanics and controls of the character just about right. You, you feel, yeah. You'll immediately feel at home when playing Battle Princess Madeline if you've uh, just played through Ghouls and Ghosts and Super Ghouls and Ghosts. And it's that joyous moment to be able to, uh, you know, when you realize you actually have access to both a double jump and uh, the ability to fire upwards and downwards. Uh, but I think, sadly, the level design in both the uh, arcade uh, adventure platform exploration mode and, and the arcade mode are, are sadly lacking but the game is still consistently being worked on and consistently being updated mm. so and and with every update they tackle some of the criticisms and the uh, uh, and the flaws uh, that have been mentioned so yeah I mean Still a title to to definitely give a try and look out for. Yeah, no doubt it'll turn up in digital sales and things like that. The reviews have been relatively middling overall. But as you say, uh, once again, we've had this a few times recently with smaller developers, which is nice. After the review, they read it, they took on board things and they responded in a polite and positive way, which was that we're working on the issues, which is great. Yeah, yeah can't say fair yeah, than that's that. Very, uh, very sportsmanlike, very respectable. Yeah. We also have a clutch of three-word reviews from Twitter. Follow us at Kane and Rince. Smeg in the head says, hair-pullingly difficult. It's... Good thing I don't have hair. <laughs> it's Hazel <laughs> says, dodge the axe. Bearfish by says, third art attack. Clever. Simon Sloth says, piece of cake. Yeah. Hopefully with tea. Definitely with tea. <laughs> yeah. So, to summarise, would we recommend... Super Ghouls and Ghosts. Well, I'll go first, uh, just because I'm the puniest of the three of us, clearly, in that uh, I've still yet to fully, honestly and comprehensively beat this uh, mighty, notorious game. So I didn't play it until it was seven years old, uh, and I've only seen most of it in the last couple of months at the age of 46, uh, 20 years after I first played it. Um, but I think, yeah... It, my appreciation has grown because I've, you know, I've sat down and even though, as I say, I haven't aced it, certainly nothing like Ben, I've played through it. I've seen everything it has to offer. And I think 
perhaps the most telling thing is that despite this game's brutality and even cruelty, it does, as we said with its predecessors, it retains a charm and a humour. And it feels so beautifully and specifically designed to be both cruel and encourages uh, your progression and, and makes you feel good for those little gains that you make in the way that uh, a lot of lauded modern games do as well. Um, we've all gone back to it after we finished it. So you would think with a game that is so difficult that people would go, ah, like Mikhail might just go, right, thank God for that. Here we are. Yeah, never again. Never again. But no, he's already back to it, playing it on professional difficulty. Let's see what we can tease out of this. Ben has one credited this game, but he wasn't satisfied because he lost a couple of lives in a frankly quite easy section, which you know I'm very disappointed. <laughs> um, and he's still playing it. He's playing the GBA version, which is even harder. We're already goading him into one crediting the NTSC version of this and the GBA version. Um, and yeah, I've got that thing. We talk about this a lot anyone who's made a podcast will know you talk about a game on a podcast and you often get this itch to play it again and i've got that right now i can feel myself i can feel the double jump i can feel myself chucking whichever weapon the treasure chest has been so kind to give me at uh, werewolves and 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 whatever and finding my way through those treacherous uh, but oh so imaginative and and carefully designed levels all over again um it's definitely not a game that everyone will enjoy, especially not in 2019. Uh, it's got a lot of things about it that people just probably wouldn't stick with now. But you can play it on your SNES Classic or or a or an emulator or a virtual console. Use the save states if you want, and it's worth it. I think even if even if you don't want to one CC it like Ben, just to see some truly glorious 16-bit era art and design and Go for it. Save Princess Prinprin once again, or not, <laughs> Mikhail. <laughs> it's it's funny to look at this game uh, and its lineage as the first uh, and I mean probably the the last real game in the series. Uh, I mean in the main series, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. maybe not counting Ultimate Ghosts and Goblins, but it's it's clear that uh, this that Super Ghosts and Ghosts was designed for consoles first and foremost because. And that that's because of the length, uh, I guess, in comparison to the previous two arcade games. Uh, it's a bit, I've, I still feel it's overall quite a bit easier. Uh, and also that it's uh, stretched out a little bit too thin, maybe, over mm. that, that length. Because it, it, I don't feel the game is as consistent, uh, consistently quality as Ghouls and Ghosts was. Mm. But with all that said... This being the first game in the series in which I've cleared both loops on uh, and having spent a lot of time on it in the last two weeks, I've grown closer to it than ever before and I've developed quite uh, an affinity for it and I've even sort of grown fond of its imperfections. Uh, and like you said, yeah, it immediately had that effect on me like, oh, I want to play more of it. I want to try a professional difficulty. Right now, I'm actually looking at the, the PS2 over here and I want to uh, put in the uh, Capcom Classics yeah. Volume 1 collection because that has the US ROM Correct. on it. And I actually feel quite confident that I'll be able to tackle that one as well. Uh, so, yeah, and maybe even more than that, I think because of doing all these three games, it's it's part of the the greater whole of the series mm. and 
I want to play the GBA game now, and I'm actually looking to finally, after all these years, getting a PSP so I can play Ultimate Ghosts oh, yeah. and Goblins. Mm. So yeah, it's I've, um, I've grown closer to the series than ever before. So I definitely recommend getting into it with the caveats, as uh, Leon has mentioned already throughout the episodes. That if you don't enjoy doing parts over and over again, you're not going to enjoy this game. But if you enjoy a good challenge, and you know if if a hard game has that effect on you to to instill grim determination in you uh where you where you just you you know you can't just let let uh let the game uh, get one over on you and you you you'll you'll swear you'll beat it this is one of them and apart from that also you know there's some like leon said also there's some really beautiful spread work on it and some really imaginative settings and it's definitely part of the lasting appeal and the, the iconic um, um, iconic legacy attraction oh, of okay. the series I was guessing <laughs> looking for the right word yeah um, yeah and the funny thing was today when I, my son saw me play professional difficulty mm. he wanted to give the, give it a shot as well and he still wants to get a, a SNES classic for in his own room and he said, like, yeah, when I get a SNES Classic, I'll definitely try my hands at this game as well, because it looks really cool. And he was really getting into getting the powered-up armors and seeing what that, that did to the That's weapons so cool. and everything. And what yeah. year was, was he born in? He was born in 2010. Yeah, amazing. <laughs> and he made it to uh, yeah to the end of the tsunami section uh, on, his, on his first three lives in normal settings. Keep beating not, him not and he'll get all. good. <laughs> yep. All right, uh, so over to the master, Ben. It's strange with this because the, for, for most people, if you if you played them all, I imagine that of the three, this is probably the most accessible. But yet, to a lot of people, it's probably got the worst. Um, it's probably got the worst reputation as being the most difficult. Mm. I think that all these games in this series are difficult in different ways. I think in, in the first game, you're battling with very unforgiving controls, a lot of unfair gaming elements. I think in in the second game everything needs to be perfect in order for you to 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 play at that kind of high level but in this uh, the key is focus and it's one of those things that when i did our, our type on the channel i, I kind of felt like I'd, I'd peak really i thought i can't do anything that compares to this i can't i can't be a, a game, human being i can't beat a game that more people think is more difficult than this <laughs> and i don't know where and I was having like I don't know. Hagane, Hagane. I'm not going to say I came to the point where I thought about stopping recording videos, but I remember thinking to myself like I could go out on top here and then just and and what's it and and not have to do this. But there was something about Ghouls and Ghosts. As soon as I plugged it in and as soon as I started playing it again, I was instantly teleported back to a time where I had no real responsibilities and no real kind of sense of of anything other than I had to get to the end of that uh, to that particular level. I just think that for all it's kind of the, the the perceptions that people have of it being unapproachable and, and unbreakable, it's one of those games that if you are prepared to put the time in, the rewards are so much bigger than you could ever feasibly imagine. That mm -hmm. You'll get better at a rate that you won't even think possible. You'll be able to do these sections. You, you watch other people do them and think they look impossible, and they're not. Like, all you need to do is literally is keep turning up and keep putting the time in. And it's one of those it's one of those games where once again I can't really describe um what it was like beating it on that clear. Like I I can't sum it up. Like I can't I just 
everything that I'd worked for for weeks and weeks and weeks kind of became a thing. And uh, and that was the, the most kind of important part of, of, of any of these games, really. And I think for me, like, if you can put some time into something like this, as I say, with, with all the games in this series, um, their the awards are just the rewards are just massive. And I think that it, it will teach you a lot of things about yourself that maybe you didn't really know. Like, you probably <laughs> don't think you can do this. But if you put yeah. the time in, you can. And uh, it's like, um, I don't know, it always makes me think of... Uh, of uh, what Elmo says in Vision Quest, he always says like, uh, "It ain't the six minutes; it's about what happens in the six minutes." And this game's exactly the same. It's not mm. about the amount of time you put in; it's about what you do at that time. Lovely, beautiful. It remains for me then, Leon, to thank Ben and Mikhail, as well as our correspondents, editor Jay, and to all of you for listening. Uh, ben, we've mentioned it, but uh, one more plug for oh, what you do. Phenomenal. Uh, yeah, if you go on to uh, if you go to YouTube and uh, if you put in uh, One Credit Classics, all in letters, you'll get my channel there. There is a different, um, uh, yeah, different One Credit Clear every week. I'm doing a lot of Spectrum stuff at the moment, but I'll tell you what, right, it's an exclusive to you good people, right? Yeah, yeah. In the next couple of weeks, and I promise you this is going to happen. I have got a Ghouls and Ghosts arcade, no death on the world version of the ROM. Okay. No. So that's going to happen. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Who's taking the mick out of versions now, boys? No one. <laughs> Absolutely no one. Sit down, the lot of you. But yeah. So uh, so that's going to happen soon. Um, so yeah, check me out on, on Twitter at number one credit check classics and on Facebook and on uh, patreon.com forward slash one credit classic if you want to yeah, chip yeah, a bit yeah. in. There's a bonus video every week for that. I know you yeah. good folks at Kane and Rinse have a, a very good Patreon as well that I'm a big fan of. Oh, thank you. Uh, yeah, two things then before we go. Uh, one is perhaps we should do Hagane next year before we get, all get too old <laughs> to, to think about it. I'm scared of that game. Uh, and the other thing is it is heartbreaking that uh, Ultimate Ghosts and Goblins never got uh, released on the PSN uh, system over here so you can't download it and play it on Vita or PSP Go uh, UMD is the only way to play that uh, yeah, it's a real tragedy that's, what, I, that's what, I'll, what I'll be looking at Yeah, I might be looking at emulating it uh, I used to have the UMD but I don't have a UMD machine to play it on anymore so gutted anyway uh, yeah. if you've enjoyed this podcast please do subscribe rate, review, wherever you get your podcast from I know you, I say it and you don't necessarily hear it because it's the same blurb every week. But seriously, if you do enjoy what we do, subscriptions are great. Ratings are f fantastic. Reviews are even better. And best of all, patreon.com slash rinse. If you could all chuck us just a dollar a month, you get all your bonus stuff. And it really, really helps us keep on doing this stuff that we do. You get every Cana Rinse podcast a week earlier, often extended sometimes by up to like 25 minutes, half an hour, and an exclusive monthly show with Jay and me. It's a couple of hours long. We talk about all sorts of stuff, not just uh, the hardcore gaming that we do on here. Uh, so yeah, patreon.com slash Rinse and One Credit Classics while you're there. I'm sure you can spare two bucks. Next time in issue 360, Wii U Swansong and Switch Curtain Razor. It's the legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild, everybody. Yeah.